York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. WABC. <laughs> wait, wait. You thought you got enough religion in church earlier today? Some of you, you went for uh, Bible lessons. You were watching your televangelists. And then all of a sudden you went to your local church or you went to your synagogue. You were davening or you went to your local Buddhist temple and God only knows laid worship to 440 different uh, gods with elephants' heads and all kinds of strange machinations. <sighs> but it's nothing like what we experience today. Nothing like what we experience today. We learned uh, earlier today, as I did left versus right, with Chris Hahn, believe it or not, the aggressive progressive. Believe it or not, he was a holy roller, a charismatic, an evangelical who had snakes around his neck, dancing in the aisles of his mom and dad's evangelical church out there in Long Island and talking in tongues. And I asked him, are you talking in tongues uh, during this show? And he couldn't say whether Jesus was speaking within him. Now, that was a shocker rule. The last person in the world that I thought had a timber or an ember of religion in him was Chris Hahn, atheist, agnostic, communist, whatever you want to call him. But wait till you, wait till you hear his story in the next hour. But he was being truthful. And it all had to do with Jessica Hahn because in the overnight show that I do, The Other Side of Midnight on the Weekends... I had linked up Chris Hahn with the infamous Jessica Hahn. And lo and behold, it turns out that what I was talking about with all of you at 5 o'clock in the morning in what seems like less than a day ago was all true. There is linkage between Chris Hahn and Jessica. Oh, God, I should have never done it. With Baker, 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 I made Tammy Faye Baker cry and the mascara came down all on her face. PTL, forgive me. That's in the next hour. But oh, what a piece of work earlier today, not far from where I was born and raised. In Canarsie, Brooklyn, not in Canarsie itself, although there are plenty of black holy rollers in Canarsie now with the... uh, 
African Methodists, Episcopalians, uh, black uh, Baptist churches, or storefront preachers are coming out of the compound in the Hamptons in Long Island. The doors opened up. There was Fredo. Fredo. That's right. Chris Cuomo wearing his CNN sweatshirt, which at one point represented the Cuomo National Network. And he gave his older brother, Andrew Evilized Cuomo, a, a kiss on both cheeks and said, I will never forsake you. Never forsake you. I will never, ever take the side of Mo Green again or Shelly Silver or any of the... No, no, no. I am loyal to you, Andrew, and to our father. And you mean Andrew Cuomo said, you mean Mario? No, 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 our father, you know, daddy. No, 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 you mean Mario. And they got into a brief argument, and then the leg breaker, the consigliere extraordinaire, wartime consigliere, just released from federal prison, but just weeks ago, after doing six years for political corruption, six years. And ladies and gentlemen, what happened? Joe Pacoco said, I'll, I'll drive you, Andrew. We're going into some rough terrain. It's not far from the Sliwa compound in Kanas. He said, oh, really? Where are we going, Joe? And he said, where do all white politicians go when they're in trouble? We got to find ourselves a black church. Because for some reason, they'll always be suckered by white politicians who are in need of salvation and redemption and forgiveness. So the gates opened up. Fredo wished them a goodbye. As Joe Pacoco, wartime consigliere, leg breaker for first Mario and then Andrew, drove out of the gate in his uh, GTO muscle car. And they headed out on the southern state to the Belt Parkway and, yes, ended up on Linden Boulevard. And they said... uh, Hey, which black church do you want to choose? I don't know. Haven't been here in a long time. Well, look, look, I bet you we could walk into any black church. Oh, of course. And they walked into a black church in which there were a hundred congregants. And who decided to blame the cancel culture for his resignation like 12 times? Andrew Evilized Cuomo. He said, not only am I here for redemption. But this is my resurrection. And so Joe Pacoco whispered in his ear, Hey, schmuck, but, you know, I'm a Catholic school kid. You know, why don't you wait to Easter Sunday? You know, resurrection. I need to resurrect myself now. Find me a black church. Because you may have remembered there was Robert Menendez, the most crooked of all crooked senators on the Hill in Washington, D.C. And, boy, there are a bunch of crook. Republican and Democratic senators, but none more crooked than Robert Menendez. He is the boss of all bosses of the most corrupt of the many Democratic corrupt county machines across America, Hudson County. Yes, Bobby Menendez. In fact, when he drops dead of greed, and he will soon, he's already grooming his son to take his place. A a little crook to take the place of the big crook. He will die of greed. And when they lift him up, the greedy SOB that he's been his entire life, 
and they have a wake, and actually you'll have to come on Bergen Line Avenue right in, right there. Because, you know, all the Cubanos will have to pay tribute. They'll have their little cup of Cuban coffee, you know, and the black bean soup. And they'll talk about, hey, he was, he, 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 he was a crook, but he was our crook. He was a Cubano. He always defended us against Fidel and Raul Castro behind the sugarcane curtain of Cuba. We could always depend on Robert Menendez with income and say, you see, I have attacked Castro. Give me your money. Alpha 66 in Florida. Give me your money because I'm a money-grubbing SOB. And then he befriended the infamous Dr. Meldon who is the biggest rip-off artist of Medicaid in the history of our social service providing health care, especially for the elderly. He was an ophthalmologist. Gee, the two other ophthalmologists that come most to mind? What is it, Rand Paul, RuPaul, Ron Paul, one of those Pauls? Oh, that's right, Rand Paul. And then, of course, Bashir Assad, the butcher of Damascus. Yes, he is an ophthalmologist. And Dr. Melgen, an ophthalmologist, who would would rip off the government and would tell elderly people who could barely see because they had cataracts and hardening of the arteries, come here, my little pretty. I'll give you an injection right in your eye, and I'll charge the government like $250,000 a shot. Crook. And he was the Medici for Bobby Menendez. And remember, Bobby Menendez went on trial, went on trial in federal court in Newark, downtown, where Broad meets Market Street. And who did he want to come to his aid? Who did he scream out to, to that phalanx of reporters? Hey, it's Dominic here. Dominic, I, I'm not going to start this press conference until Dominic Carter is here. Oh, my God. Dominic sold out to Bobby Menendez. Yep, yep, he was his Maytag. Every day we heard of the tortured tale of how he ripped us off to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. And then in Dr. Melgen's private plane, private Learjet, they went to Santo Domingo where prostitution is legal. Yes, it's legal in the DR. I know some of you guys, you're ready, lock, stock, and barrel before you get yourself a Ukrainian mail order bride. You'll go to the DR to get a little frisky. I remember Bobby Menendez was doing threesomes and foursomes with Dominican prostitutes. And remember, they did a YouTube about it and said, that cheap SOB, he didn't even leave us a tip with one peso. Nothing. And naturally, he denied it all. And the jury exonerated the crook of all crooks, the capo di tutti of all crooks. And I said to myself, hmm, in the interim, when Bobby Menendez was on trial, where did he go every Sunday? He, too, was roaming the streets with his son driving him around looking for a black church. Because all of these white and Hispanic and black politicians know that if you're going to be restored, if you're going to be given forgiveness, you go to a black church. I don't know what it is. They get bamboozled. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you, you make an extra contribution in the plate, out of sight, out of mind to the minister. But it's always at a black church. And Bobby Menendez, if you remember, went to that black church in Trenton. And he said, I have been victimized. 
because I, like you, am a person of color. And they said, no, you're not. You're a Cuban. He said, you might as well be a white guy. No, no, I'm a Cubano. Might as well be a white guy. You know what Mexicans think of Cubanos and Dominicans and Puerto Ricans? No, no. I am one of you. No, you're not. But they gave him dispensation. They gave him forgiveness. And Bobby Menendez went on and was exonerated in court. What a disgraziada. What a shanda. And who was the governor of New York at that time? Watching it every step of the way. But Andrew evil eyes Cuomo. And he said, if ever, ever I'm in this situation, I will choose the Bobby Menendez scenario of finding a black church, BSing the black congregation, and hoping, hoping they will insulate me from any further criticism. Because I know white people will criticize me. And I know Hispanic people and Asian people will criticize me. For the one group of people who always have forgiveness in their soul for white people who have screwed them over the centuries of black people. I don't know what it is. Maybe they truly believe in Jesus. Maybe they truly believe in a second, a third, or fourth chance. But why, oh why, first the crook of all crooks, the capo di tutti of the U.S. Senate, Bobby Menendez, and now Andrew Evilized Cuomo. So here it was, they were on Linden Boulevard off Pennsylvania Avenue, right across from the Burger King, which I've uh, spent many a day at that BK, having my Whopper and watching the thugs run amok on Pennsylvania Avenue off Linden Boulevard. And then all of a sudden, eagle-eyed Joe Pococo spotted the black church. And Andrew Evilized Cuomo walked in and was invited to the bully pulpit. And the bull feathers just flew out of his mouth. I want you to hear Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo, who claims that he was throwing himself on the sword, impaling himself in front of God, down on his hands and knees, begging for forgiveness. As the black audience was saying, amen, amen, you white devil, amen. Accept God as your Lord and Savior. He is the only one. He will save you, white devil. And the demons were removed from his Cuomo soul, as blackened as it has been with corruption over the years, tracing back to Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, the father of Andrew Evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II. And I want you to listen to him. In all of his glory, like right out of central casting, he gets up in the bully pulpit. Doesn't even ask the minister, right? He just goes right to the bully pulpit. You know who I am. Oh, yeah, 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 Governor No, 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 no. I am King Cuomo. Kiss my ring and kiss my tukis. And that's basically what he was saying to everybody who attended earlier today on Linden Boulevard in Brownsville. Never ran, never will. And what he was saying to everybody who is listening and watching it on TV as he begins his comeback, like Napoleon on the island of Elba. Listen to these words dripping from his lips. And, you know, he believes few of any of these words. My father, God rest his soul, used to say government is an honorable profession, but that politics can be a dirty business. Now, that is especially true today when this politics out there is so mean and so extreme. 
when even the Democratic Party chooses to cancel people that they have a disagreement with. Last February, several women raised issues about my behavior. As I said then, and as I say to you in this holy hall today, my behavior has been the same for 40 years in public life. You have seen me many, many times, and that has been my behavior. But that was actually the problem. Mm. Because for some people, especially younger people, uh, there's a new sensitivity. Yes. No one ever told me. I made them feel uncomfortable. What? I never sensed that I caused anyone discomfort. Really? I was trying to do the exact opposite. But oh. I've been called old-fashioned, mm. out of touch, mm. and I've been told that my behavior was not politically correct. You've been called a sfachim. I accept that. Social norms evolve, and they evolve quickly. And we are and we're proud of the evolution. It is progress. But I didn't appreciate how fast their oh, perspective oh, changed. Oh. And I should have. Oh, yeah. No excuses. Yes, yes, yes. I am truly, truly sorry. Amen. I've apologized many times. Amen. And I've learned a powerful lesson, and I paid a very high price for learning that lesson. Amen. God isn't finished with me yet. Oh. Yeah. And every day, I ask him for his guidance to help me grow and to help me learn. Yeah, sure you do. You really think that this this obstinate, self-important jerk, this who skifolsa, no, 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 not a skifolsa, a svachim, you really think he believes that he did anything wrong? You really believe that he took a knee in front of God and sought redemption and salvation. Do you really believe that? Give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. Maybe, just maybe, I hate the Cuomo so much that I've been blinded by this hate. And I need to tear away the veneer and look at Andrew Evilize Cuomo in a different light. Haven't I said everyone's entitled to a second chance, right? Haven't we made that the hallmark of WABC, our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis? Hasn't he said this is a place where you get a second chance? Bill O'Reilly, Sid Rosenberg, well, make that ten chances. Dominic Carter, and now Anthony Weiner. You think, ladies and gentlemen, it's time... That Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo be given a second chance by the man who has staked his entire reputation on entrusting men who have done bad things at time and then give them the bully pulpit with a 50,000 powerful watts of sound, the most powerful news talk station in the nation, heard now in 38 states, parts of Canada, a little bit of Europe, and yes, even in the Bermuda Triangle. You think it's time? Well, wait, wait. let's listen more to this Kyakya down, this Pinocchio, Andrew Evilized Cuomo earlier today on Linden Boulevard in Brownsville. Never read, never will. However, the truth is also that contrary to what my political opponents would have had you believe, nothing I did violated the law or the regulation. Hmm. I said from the start that I would defend any allegation that anyone wanted to bring. 
But the political sharks in Albany uh, smell blood. Blood. And when the sharks smell blood, then they come. And they exploited the situation for their political purpose. And you know something? I have a feeling tonight when Frank Morano, the Mamaluke, the Mongoluch, the Mashad returns to the other side of midnight all week long from one to five, that he will have forgiven Andrew Evilize Cuomo. He will have spoken on his behalf and saying, do you believe all of these women? Just as you heard Andrew Evilize Cuomo say from his bully pulpit in a black Baptist church in the, the house of God. What a disgrazia, what a shanda that he would do it in the house of God. How much did he grease that black minister in, in order to be able to come in, right? Why is it black churches always do this? Remember Bill Clinton? I did not have sex with that woman and then carrying a Bible wherever he went. He never carried a Bible before. In fact, he sinned so much. Paula Jones, remember Paula Jones in Arkansas, that when he recognized that he had sinned, he reached into that drawer to Holiday Inn Express in Little Rock, pulled out the King James Bible, and just to uh, get some insurance, the Mormon Bible, and said, you really think I'm going to read any of this? I'll just carry it around and fool everybody. In one hand, the King James Bible. In the other hand, the Mormon Bible. And so many people believe that, oh, he's a Christian man. We need to forgive him. And where did he first beg and beseech forgiveness? In front of a black audience at a black church in Washington, D.C., in Southeast, in Anacostia. I'll never forget that as he walked in with that Bible and he hadn't even taken the cellophane wrapping off around the Bible. And he raised the Bible and everybody said, Bill, Bill, you got to take the cellophane wrapping off. You know, you just bought it in Walmart. Don't worry. They know me. I'm a man of God. So let's see. We have Bobby Menendez, crook of all crooks. We have Andrew Evilized Cuomo. We had Bill Clinton. And I'm sure along the way, although it seems to be a, um, a bit vapid on this, Republicans themselves who have done this or the televangelists like Jimmy Schwagger, I have sinned in his uh, cathedral-like establishment, which I actually saw in visiting Baton Rouge, where they say, we don't know, we don't want no guardian angels. Jimmy Schwagger said, we don't want no guardian angels here in Baton Rouge. At LSU, they said, we don't need no guardian angels. Hey, you're laden with crime. And Jimmy Schwagger ended up saying, I have sinned. Ladies and gentlemen, do, do you believe this Kakeran, this Pinocchio, Andrew Evelines Como? I will predict that when uh, Frank Morano comes in, he will pinpoint why these women uh, are not credible. Not credible accusers, inquisitors, are not uh, credible in terms of making either a criminal or civil complaint. As you heard Andrew Evilize Cuomo say, five district attorneys could have indicted me. Haven't you ever heard a district attorney can indict a ham sandwich? Now, I'm... Uh... <laughs> 
I'm Gabagoo. <laughs> I'm Gabagoo. Can they indict a Gabagoo sandwich? <laughs> oh, nice Gabagoo sandwich there. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let's go to Norman and Canarsie. Norman, you were just blocks away from the return of Andrew Evilines Cuomo on Linden Boulevard off Pennsylvania Avenue. You could have walked there, Norman. Yes, Curtis. I, I can't believe that that congregation falls for that uh, crap. Uh, I. Uh, Used to eat, uh, not so much there, but at the Wendy's across the street. Uh, I don't go to that area now because uh, since the lockdowns and the mandates and all that stuff uh, and the no cash bail, it's made that area incredibly dangerous. So I don't go to that area anymore. I I I don't know how these fools. I understand uh, you don't want to get lead poisoning. I understand there is constant drive-by shootings there between the Bloods and the Crips. I, I, I understand. Go ahead, Norman. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know how these people there. They don't put uh, you know two and two together. They you know they have a they have a governor that has been contributing to the destruction of the community uh, for at least the last two years, uh, if not more. And uh, you know, with the no cash bail stuff, uh, I just uh, yeah, I'm just flabbergasted by all that stuff. Don't don't be flabbergasted. Uh, Even even uh, a racist. Like George Wallace, after being shot multiple times, if you remember, in that parking lot of that strip mall in Maryland when he was running for the presidency as an independent candidate, shot multiple times by Arthur Bremer, that crazy guy from Milwaukee. Why are they always crazy from Milwaukee? But anyway, the point being, he shot him multiple times, and he did a Larry Flint to him. So George Wallace is now in a wheelchair like Larry Flint. And George Wallace said, I had an epiphany. I realized that I need to make amends to the black community. And he went to black congregation after black congregation in Alabama seeking redemption. And they gave him redemption, Norman. They gave him redemption. Yes. And why do they always call upon God? Like somehow Cuomo has a pipeline to God, right? Uh, Jimmy Swaggart, he talks to God. I call up God, he introduces me to Mr. Click. He's not, it's not like he's going to the uh, young Israel here, uh, synagogue here in Canarsie or something to, uh, uh, you know, beg forgiveness. No, he would have been there for the schmear. For the schmear on the bagel, he would have come for the breakfast, cup of coffee, the schmear and the bagel, and he would have said, uh, "Juice, no, 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 it's not good. It's not. Well, I need, I need to be in front of a black audience because yes. if I'm going to appeal to hardcore Democrats, who's hardcore than African Americans? Right? Don't believe anything when you're a Democrat. They just right. buy it lock, stock, and barrel. Right." I'm surprised that he didn't have Al Slim Shady Sharpton, who grew up in the Stone Avenue projects, just a stone's throw away from that church on Linden Boulevard. He could have come in. He could have introduced Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo. But uh, Sharpton will be supporting uh, Tish James, so he can't He can't go into the enemy camp Whoa, right now. What do I say, Norman? Don't be so sure. Sharpton will support anyone who greases him. Let me take you back. Let me take you back. Remember when Fernando Ferrer 
the Bronx borough president was running for the mayoralty, would have been the first Latino to be mayor in the city of New York against the billionaire, egotistical, maniacal Michael Bloomberg. Do you remember that, Norman? Yeah, I'd like to say I actually voted for him in uh, in reaction to not wanting to see a third term. Let me tell you what went on behind the scenes. Because in the first run, it was Mark Green. And now some Shady Sharpton went to the Bronx and met with Roberto Ramirez, who was El Jefe there, and met with <laughs> Fernando Ferrer and the crooked Democratic machine And he said, I'm with my brother Latinos. And then all of a sudden, Mark Green (laughs) persuaded him with some dead presidents that Mm -hmm. he got lost in the Bronx. You know, it was sort of like uh, uh, (laughs) Bonfire of the Vanities. Uh, Sorry, guys, uh, amigos, I got lost in the Bronx. Mark Green showed me some shekels. And he stayed out of it. He stayed out of it, and it cost Fernando Ferrer, the nomination the first time. Mm-hmm. Now you That's see why our city's going to hell. I see now you know the rest of the story, Norman. Who knows where all the bones are buried and who buried them in New York City? Ah, Norman. That's true. <laughs> I got to tell you, you know, I feel like right now I feel so soiled by what I saw. In that black church today, by them inviting and giving the red carpet treatment, not the flea bag treatment, Andrew Evilized Como. I'd want to go over to the Betsy Head pool in the heart of Brownsville. I just want to dive into that pool and unsoil myself. God, how could they do it? 1 800 848 Let's go to Mark calling all the way from Rahway. New Jersey, home of the prison, although they've changed the name there, haven't they, Mark? <laughs> yes, yes, Curtis. That's me. I'm about five miles from it. Curtis, my man, you are on a roll tonight. You're outdoing yourself as my late great father, uh, like yourself, uh, Polish, and my mom, uh, Italian, uh, but I digress. Um, you're on a roll. I love it. Uh, you've got all the Sliwa-isms going. As I said last Sunday night, I've been waiting all day to hear the real raw uh, Curtis after chewing on Han's shorts. But I got to say uh, about Andrew Evil Eyes, as I call him the godfather, he, as you know and I know, is going to settle all scores. Ah. Really? So how do you think this plays out, Mike? Give me, give me the well, end, the end game for the Cuomo's. Uh, it's multifaceted. You know, uh, uh, Fredo's going to want to get on some network, but he might not ever have to if he gets uh, 50 million bucks out of CNN. But as far as Andrew, um, he knows that Hoko Yoko is, is weak. He's got something up his sleeve, I think, to still play this out. And he's got a war chest. No, five million bucks at least, he uh, or more. No, right? no, no, it's 16, 16 million in his war chest. He spent uh, about half a million in these TV ads, the propaganda ads that you've seen on TV, suggesting that he's ready for beatification, that someone needs to contact Pope Francis at the Vatican and schedule Andrew <laughs> Evilized Cuomo to become Saint Cuomo. 
<laughs> well, you can buy that too, you know. You can buy anything from yeah. the Catholic Church. You can buy indulgences. You you can buy the fact that oh, you know, I've been married to my wife for eighteen years. We have nine kids. No, you didn't. You can buy an annulment like it didn't even exist. You can buy anything from the Catholic Church, Mark. Exactly. It's a it's a art, as you always say. Excellent, it's so excellent, true. Excellent. By the way, the Como family. Led by the patriarch Mario Fachapruta Como, King Como the First. Followed up by Andrew Evilized Como, King Como the Second. May I give a salute, ladies and gentlemen, a salute to Andrew Evilized Como, who is smiling as if uh, he was the cat that just swallowed Tweety Bird. On his way back to the compound, getting over on those African Americans uh, like so many other whites have over the decades and centuries. Andrew, pay attention. And like your father, Mario, you are the founder of the Guardian Angels. The group dedicated to fight crime. On the streets of New York and on the air right now. Curtis Lewa on 77 WABC. As we talk about the Udiscrazia, the Como family. It reminds me that technically there are eight families, eight families of organized crime between New York and Soprano Land, New Jersey. We have the um, Bananos, the Lucchese's, the Genovese, the Gambinos, the Columbos. We have the DeCalvacantes in New Jersey. And yes, we have the Como crime family. Remember, it was Mario Como who said there was no such thing as La Cosa Nostra or the Mafia. I, really, Mario? That's right. It's all made up by Hollywood, he said. And then, of course, the most recent entrance into the crime family, although they have no Italian blood that we know of, although this guy may have had quite a few Italian cuties, uh, supreme cousinettes uh, in his lifetime. Bill Clinton. And Hillary Clinton, they are the eighth family of organized crime, the Clinton crime family. Remember when he loaded up and she loaded up the pickup truck, the Beverly Hills pickup truck, with all the racketeers and hillbillies in Little Rock, and then came to the whitest suburb in America, Chappaqua, where even the, even the lawn jockeys are white, in prestigious Westchester County, and then took over the state Democratic Party from the Cuomos, and they sucked it up, and they made peace. Because what happened when Bill Clinton was president, Henry Cisneros, who could have been the first Latino president, the mayor of San Antonio, was made the head of housing and urban development. But he got into a very nasty divorce with his wife. Oh, it was brutal. And he lied to the FBI. And I guess for the first time they decided, well, we'll bust a Mexican guy here. You know, if he lies to us, not forever busting Italians. And he had to leave. He had to leave. And who replaced him? Well, Bill and Hillary sat and they said, you know, when we housed uh, New York State Democratic Party from the Cuomos. You know, remember... Remember, Mario could have commented and could have deep-sixed us, especially when you and Jennifer Flowers were doing that pillow talk, and she said, he sounds just like a mafia don. 
And we begged our forgiveness of the Godfather in New York. And we bamboozled him. But you know what? We need to make it up to Mario by making his son the secretary of housing, urban, and development. And he became that. And then he went out there and he was actually encouraging people, encouraging people to go bankrupt. And the question is, what loan structure was Andrew Evilice Cuomo forcing banks to give out that he knew would eventually implode our economy and the Fortune 500 and the Wall Street investors? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And what head of organized crime actually would hide out in Little Rock where corruption sprung from the hot springs? Yes! Yes, even though you can only find uh, an Italian in a federal institute in Little Rock doing time, who's probably from the New England or New York City area. No Italians to be found, not even at those fake, phony, fraudulent, so-called Italian restaurants, Olive Garden, where they give you an extra, what, an extra little, uh, a a few extra breadsticks, and all the hillbillies in Arkansas go, I love that Italian food. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. But along those lines, I mentioned the Colombo crime family. And I told you oftentimes I had to humor the underboss of the Colombo crime family who said, I don't have beef with you. The Gambinos want to kill you, Curtis, not me. Sonny Francisi killed over 50 people. Father of Michael Francisi. But what many of you don't know is that as the underboss of the Colombo crime family, he was the Kumbada Cheech to the Hollywood fixer. It was not uh, Tom Hagen, the peacetime consigliere of the Godfather, but it was the Colombo guy, Ori Spado, and Frank Morano is previewing uh, that on his uh, racket report, his uh, specialized podcast that you can get at wabcradio.com that's wabcradio.com are you a victim of the relationships that you had with sunny frenzies and others i believe the true reason that i got indicted was in 1997 the fbi out here were after me they tried to get me to become an informant and what I did was, instead of recording anybody else, I recorded the FBI. That was a big mistake. I ended up having 12 tapes of me taping the FBI. And I went on record. Sonny was in prison. And I knew I was going to get in trouble. But we went on record with Joe Tadaro, the boss of Buffalo, with me taping the FBI. And Joe actually wanted me to keep doing it. But I knew I had to go on record because I knew I would get in trouble for it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the survivor, Ori Spado. He was the Hollywood fixer. He was the guy who would go out there and would meet with the producers, like you saw Tom Hagen in the Godfather movie. By the way, the 50th anniversary of the Godfather is a tweak it. And he would go to the producers and say, look, I'm telling you, I I don't want to have to tell Sonny. I don't want to have to tell Sonny and give him bad news because Sonny kills. 
And he does it personally, and he does it with lust and vigor, and he has a whole routine, and he will not at all leave any of his DNA on you. He was a hair nut. A hairnet, he puts nail polish on. He has scientifically learned how to Khashoggi you, kill you, and then chop you up the way the Saudis did Khashoggi, and nobody will ever figure that it was Sonny Francesi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. When, when you heard that Sonny Francesi was coming from oldest inmate ever in the federal penitentiary, Died uh, over a hundred. He was living in a in his little um, his little home, indescript in Greenpoint, amongst all the uh, poles. Sonny, never forget how Sonny told me, "Hey, you, uh, I don't want to kill you. There are too many Gambinos who want to kill you. Because if if I wanted to kill you, you'd be dead." And I believe that. Well, naturally, you get that on the Racket Report. And then when you go to the Racket Report, the specialized, customized podcast made by Frank Morano, you see his picture and you go, I thought Curtis says he's a Mamaluke, he's a Mashad, he's a Mangalooch. Look at him. It's like he was with Sid Rosenberg lifting weights, you know. I'm telling you, dumbbells that they are lifting weights. And he's like, man, he's flexing. And he's got on that gladiator suit from Mo Ginsburg, you know, that all the mobsters in Brownsville and in Howard Beach and Canarsie used to wear. Right off the rack, Mo Ginsburg. They call it the gladiator suit. Check it out. Oh, this is it. This is a good one with Ori Spado. Oh, man, Ori. Oh, mm. and Sonny Francesi, you know what I mean? But anyway, back to the resurrection, the revival. Like Napoleon on the island of Elba, Cuomo was at the compound of his brother Fredo, Chris Cuomo, and his wartime consigliere known to bend people's legs and stuff it in their pocket when he was at the height of his autocratic, democratic control of the state of New York. Joe Bacoco. Now, by the way, born in Cortland in Rockland County, you would have thought, oh, this guy's Howard Beach, right? East New York. No, no, Joe Bacocca is a Rockland County guy. Yeah, I know a lot of you uh, Orthodox Jews and uh, you are sitting there saying, really? One of ours? No, he's not Jewish. I don't know how he got birthed there in Rockland County, but he ended up going to Wagner College, to Staten, Italy. He wanted to find his roots, and he looked out because Wagner College is high on the bluff. It overlooks the harbor. And he said, you know, one day, my destiny is to help my godfather control this this area. I must dedicate my life to the Cornwall crime family. Look, I'm not the brightest, clearly not the brightest. He ended up doing six years for corruption. But I have loyalty running through my veins and arteries. And as was said by Andrew Evilize Cuomo in his eulogy for his father who he never called daddy or his father. He said, Mario, Mario. He said, Joe Pococo was a better son to my father than me or Chris. He acted more like a son to Mario. So now you know, you know what this resurrection is about. The return to power. But what does he intend to do? Run for governor against Hokum, against Tom Swazi, and against, uh, oh my God, 
a guy who has starred on Russian TV more times than Larry King was on Russian TV. Jumani Williams, yeah, he's all over the newspapers. Oh, is it Russian TV interviewing me? Can I disparage America? Can I be a stooge of Vladimir Putin? Me, 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 pick me, pick me, Vladimir. And he did over and over and over again. Or does he choose to go one-on-one with his inquisitor, Tish James, the attorney general? And what a heavyweight battle that would be politically. Right, ladies and gentlemen? To be continued, 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to John in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Johnny. Curtis, I remember Trump when he brought the general hospital ship into the hospital, you know, you know and, and he uh, opened up Java Center with beds. I know, I know I'm not positive, but why did he send sick people to nursing homes? When we had the when we had the ship, Javits Center, and if I'm not mistaken, they had Central Park. They had something built to put sick COVID-19 pe- people in beds. Why did he send them to nursing homes? The reimbursements from Medicare. I mean, it's unbelievable. He killed sixteen thousand people without blinking. Without I hear blinking. Commercial. I hear that commercial all the time that that you do, you know. Anybody has to sue sue anybody, you know. Yeah, but John, he's making his comeback now. He didn't yeah, show you. You heard him. He didn't show humility. He wasn't humble. He was saying that he was a victim. He said over and over of the cancel culture. The cancel culture. Yes. You know. You know how he used to cancel his opponents. He would no. he would summon Joe Pacoco, his wartime consigliere, to the executive mansion, and he would say, Joe. You know what to do. Straighten him out. And Joe's job was to get into his muscle car. Yes, boss, he would say. And he'd go all the way to New York City. And he would say to the elected Democrat, he would say, um, boss wants me to have a walk and talk with you. You know what that is, John? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, outside, not indoors. I know. I, I look at TV. I'm, I'm familiar. <laughs> right, so a walk and talk, and Joe Pacoco had three ways to try to convince you. First, with the logic. Sometimes logic could do. You know, we say, hey, you know, the governor wants this, really, you got to understand, all right. Then, sometimes with bribery, what is it you want from the governor? What is it you want uh, from him for your district or for yourself personally? How can we satisfy you? And then, if you wouldn't capitulate uh, to either or, Joe Pacoco would open up the trunk of his car and he would say, I never played baseball before in my life. Not hardball, not softball, not even wiffle ball. But you see these Louisville sluggers I have here. You see the autograph one by Joe DiMaggio. You see the one Mickey Mantle. You see the one Roger Maris. You see the the Lou Mazzilli one. You see, you see those? And the guy would say, yeah. He said, I use it to break people's kneecaps. Nice. Do you want me to kneecap you? And, John, all of a sudden, these uh, guys who thought they were tough, you know, St. John's Law School, they were tough, you know, like Mario was. They had an X-Lax attack. Please, Joe, I got a wife, I got a kids, I got a law practice. Don't hurt me. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let the boss know that you've seen the light of day. 1-800-848-9222. York's talk station with the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. 
to the phone. Snoop Doggy Dogg and Dr. Dre is at the dope. Ready to make an entrance, so back on the Before I have to pull the strap up. Tell uh, Joe Pacoco so knew you cross over Linden Boulevard like I did as a kid. You're uh, crossing over from Bla- from White Blondia into the heart of the hood. And that's where this uh, black church was today that Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo is making his comeback from. So he had a meet with the Bloods and the Crips from the Linden Projects, the old Stone Avenue Projects. He had to make sure that they understood, hey... When we get in, don't worry. I made friends with all of you in federal jail. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. You're the general. I know, I know. You're the shot caller. And Joe Pacoco sat down in that Burger King across the street on Pennsylvania Avenue, had his Whopper while Andrew Evil Cuomo was delivering a Whopper to the crowd. And he made peace with the Bloods and the Crips, and he said, It's Cuomo time! It's Cuomo time. See, you saw them as they were coming down Linden Boulevard, the Bloods on one side ready to do a drive-by, and the Crips on the other side ready to do a drive-by. But they said, no, no, it's Cuomo time. We'll make sure it's peace in the bill. Never ran, never will, because if he gets back into power, we'll be the palace guard. We'll be the Swiss guard. See, that's the kind of deals that Joe Bacoco would make. He would sit down, put the baseball bat on the table, and say, How could I be your friend? Because you don't want me as your enemy. Oh, yeah. That's what went down today. You're not going to read about that because all the reporters were afraid. Oh, let's stay in the church. Don't go outside. The oozy, toting, dope-sucking, psychopathic killing machines... I hear, oh, I hear shots in the distance. You would have thought they were in the Ukraine, right? They came in with press credentials. They had a bulletproof vest because it was in the Ville. Never ran, never will. Anyway, let's go to Billy in Queens. Uh, Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Billy. Hey, Curtis, you know me on the bicycle. I got sober with Sonny Son Johnny uh, 30 years ago. How 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 did you meet him? I met Johnny. We were getting sober, but I used to work out there in Long Island. And I met Sonny in 1995. And you, I am the healthiest, fit 60-year-old in this city, any city in the country. Me, Billy. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I've seen you on your bicycle all over the city, uh, on your Schwinn Big Chief bicycle. And you are buff. You're more buff than really? Sid Rosenberg. No, yeah, he's got skinny legs. Don't get me started on that guy. But let me tell you something. Sonny Franzis, no human being ever aged better than Sonny Franzis. I met him in 1995. He was 76. Biceps bulging. I mean, great. He had a lot of time to pump iron. He was spent half his life in prison. But I don't, I'm an average guy, but I don't know, Curtis. You, why are you going on and on about Sonny? No, I'm just telling you. He told me, he goes, you know, I could have killed you. But it's the Gambinos who wanted to kill you. You understand? He's basically saying to me, uh, "I'm not. I'm not going to harm you." You know, let me tell you, Tom Jones. I, I, you know me. I read books. I never watch TV. That's why I hate your buddy Sid Rosenberg. I never watch TV in my life. I hate TV reality culture. Tom Jones. He wrote his biography three years ago. He's got a whole chapter when he about Sonny when he first got that hit in 1966 in England. First Native American in New York City, they took him to the Copacabana. He said there was this guy bouncing around from table to table, 
with the sharpest suit, best fitting suit I've ever seen with slick black, dark hair. And this guy sits down across from me. This is Tom Jones talking now. In 1966, and the guy sees Santa Claus and goes, what, what kind of guy, man are you? And Tom tells me to close and goes, I'm man enough to take you on the sidewalk and I'll kick your ass. The record executives in New York, he would kick at Tom Jones in the shins, his first night in America. Let me tell you, let me tell you, Billy, uh, Sonny Francisi in his 90s went to these uh, strip clubs here along the West Side Highway. You know, Penthouse, all those strip clubs. Uh, you guys in the studio, you've been there, right? You've gotten your brumskis and lap dances there and then had to take out a reverse mortgage. Sonny Francisi, we go up to the Albanian bad boys who are head shooters. They're crazy, the Albanian bad boys from Morris Park. And they showed respect for Sonny Francisi. He goes, I want, I want a vig out of all the business you guys get here. From the hat check girls to the valet parkers, uh, 10% of everything comes to me. And these Albanian bad boys who controlled all that, they just defer to Sonny Francisi. That's why you got to listen to the uh, the racket report of Frank Morano at WABCradio.com where he has that interview with Ori Spado. Oh, man, Ori was the Tom Hayden, like in The Godfather, except he was the uh, Columbo's guy. In Hollywood. And he was not a peacetime consigliere. He was a wartime consigliere. Up next, who knew that Chris Hahn is a holy roller and evangelical? New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Sunday from 3 to 5, left versus right, Chris Hahn, the aggressive progressive, was an evangelical. Who would have thought Chris Hahn, who is the human piñata for everyone at the Fox News channel, was in fact a holy roller? Now, how did we find that out? Because the kind of programming I do that is different and succinct and... Uh, moves in so many different directions as a result of attention deficit disorder and the fact that I digress so often and I do trivia in which uh, it takes me in different directions. I spend the bulk of my time on the weekends, the 20 hours that I broadcast here at WABC, which stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis, doing uh, the weekend version of The Other Side of Midnight. And by the way, many of the callers said to me I should change the name uh, of that weekend show because it's so different than what Frank Morano does. Frank Morano, who is now leading in the ratings, uh, has uh, acquired uh, more ratings uh, overnight than any other talk show host in the history of WABC, including the great Alan B. Combs. We miss him dearly, who has left this plane. 
or even that Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown, Art Bell, who grew up in nearby Patterson, New Jersey, Fourth Ward. His father was a superintendent, and he'd go to the rooftop and with his little Sony radio listen to Long John Demel and Candy Jones at the old WMCA. That's where he perfected his style. And the reason I have to change it is that Part of the reason that Frank Morano is doing so extraordinarily well is uh, ever since I lost the mayoral run, as you know, I'm doing uh, two uh, of the weekend editions of The Other Side of Midnight, uh, early Saturday morning from uh, 1 to 6, and then early Sunday morning from 12 midnight to 6. That's a total of 11 hours. And so I said to management, you know, that, 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 that ratings number, that's part of mine, you know, a small part. Like one-third of it. But, oh, no, Frank insisted. Oh, no, it has nothing to do with my rating. So now caller after caller has told me that I really need to change the name of the weekend version of The Other Side of Midnight. So I'm very open to having discussion on that. I'm not going to do that lickety split. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe in about a few weeks' time, after I begin doing a Putin-like incursion on daytime programming. Oh, yeah, it's always going to be always broadcasting, Curtis. I never stop. As I said to John Katsimatidis, owner and operator of Red Apple Media, our parent company, and a great talk show host in his own right, I said, I'm a Clydesdale. I'm not a thoroughbred. Either put me on the dance card or I fill it up with something else. There'll be plenty of time to sleep when I'm dead. So as you can see, I do a number of different programs. On Saturdays, 2 to 4 in the afternoon, I'm with Anthony Weiner. It's left versus right. And Sunday afternoons, 3 to 5, I'm with Chris Hahn. It's left versus right. But the greatest knockus that I get, the greatest joy, is when I do pure theater of the mind, which is, is, which is when radio is in its most intimate form, its most entertaining form, and can go in any unexpected direction at a moment's notice. And that happened at 5 o'clock in the morning in what was a half a day ago. That's right, 5 o'clock Sunday morning. When all of a sudden, about Jessica Hahn. That's right, because it came to me. Whatever happened to Jessica Hahn? And then all of a sudden, People who are pumping and jumping, not because they're, re- they're, they're drinking Red Bull, not because they're injecting meth or, or taking mescaline. No, 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 no. They're up. They're pumped. They're vibrant. And they participate because this is the show form in which it's you, the callers, that are most important. Only 1% of callers who listen to talk radio. 1% of callers. That has to change. So many of you have so much to say, but you figure like, oh, but I can't sound like that guest. Guest, are you kidding? They know what they're going to say, what they're going to regurgitate. No, 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 no. We want a stream of consciousness from you, the callers, too. And that's why I unleash the time in which the callers end up talking more than even the host, in this case, Curtis Sleeper. And yesterday, actually just hours ago, was one of those times, 5 o'clock in the morning, and a guy calls up from Middle Village, Glendale, and... All he did was respond to when I said, Jessica Hahn. Right before 5 o'clock, you were talking about a Hahn. I was laying in bed. My my antenna ears went right on up. Um, that was Jessica Hahn that had the uh, affair with that preacher out in the island there. They said that she was actually born in Massapequa. That's not true. 
She was born in my uh, my parents' house in uh, Glendale on 67th Place. Wow. Yeah, yeah. She was at, I have photographs of her at my birthday party when we were little kids. Now, do you remember uh, her younger brother, Chris Hahn? No, no. But there was there was a young boy there. Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's Chris Hahn, who now does the show with me on Sundays from 3 to 5, the left and the right. He's the aggressive progressive. That's, that's Chris Hahn. I understand him. So at 5 o'clock in the morning, we had established that Chris Hahn was the younger brother of the infamous Jessica Hahn, who had that affair, if you remember, with Jim Baker, that took down the PTL Empire. He was the biggest televangelist in America. He had a Disney World in South Carolina, and his wife, Tammy Faye Baker, remember she had the mascara on, and she'd always be crying, and the mascara would run all over the place. She destroyed that evangelical empire. As Tammy Faye Baker said, even though she had been brought up as an evangelical to forgive and to forget, she called Jessica Hahn a homewrecker. You, I can't say that on the air. And then all of a sudden, Chris Hahn comes on, and I'm getting people who are contacting me from all over the country, including the National Enquirer, who wanted to know if, in fact, Chris Hahn was the younger brother of Jessica Hahn. And other periodicals, Page Six had contacted me. They thought it was, uh, wow, unique that this uh, aggressive progressive would have been related to uh, one of the most infamous uh, evangelicals of all time, who became a featured guest uh, for oh so many months on end with the Howard Stern Show, remember? So this is what uh, Chris Hahn revealed unexpectedly from just the suggestion that he was the younger brother of Jessica Hahn. When I was younger, when yeah. I was a young man, first of all, I grew up as, as an evangelical, even though the Hans were Jewish. My I parents divorced. I never knew you. You were yeah. a holy roller. My parents, my mother and my stepfather still have a church. They're pastors out there on Long Island. But how come we never knew this about you? Well, you don't pay you attention. Realize you realize all the Fox, that interview I did? All the Fox <laughs> News followers and watchers, many of them who are evangelicals, if they knew you were a... They'd want to burn well, you at the stake. If you've ever seen the way I use the Bible as a sword against them on Fox News, you would know that I spent uh, a lot of time in church. That was your religious <laughs> technology. Yeah, exactly. I've got so a you, lot of training. You, so unlike were, unlike most Republicans who claim to be great Christians, I've actually read the Bible. So you were a Jimmy Carter born again. No, we were very – my parents are very religious, conservative, You know, anti-choice, the whole thing. They're, they fit right in with the modern evangelicals. I, that's how I grew up. I – Abandoned You're the black it. sheep of the family? No, I think most of my brothers and sisters kind of abandoned it to some extent or another. Most, I'm probably the furthest away from it. I only go to church if I'm invited to a wedding or a christening or a funeral. Wake, I don't, of course. That's right. When yeah, everybody that's gets it. Together. I, don't go, I don't go for any other reason. I, it's a, I said if God wanted me in church on what, Sunday, what, he, he wouldn't have given me a radio show. How do you like that? If God wanted me in church on Sunday, he wouldn't have given me a radio show. Who knew? Shocking. And it was all revealed on left versus right. Chris Hahn, the aggressive progressive versus Curtis Sliwa. You don't want to miss that one. Oh, you got to go uh, on WABCradio.com, get the podcast. So I'm going to give you little, uh, little, uh, little hors d'oeuvres from that full entree. Listen more as he begins to peel away the layers of his evangelical faith. 
At what time <laughs> in your timeline would you say was the height of your evangelical experience? So when I was a kid, when I was like a, I would say like 12, 13, 14, right when this whole Jessica Hahn scandal was happening. Yes. And then when I start breaking away from the church, and I'm really coming into my own as a person at that time in my life, she's famous. And I have the same exact same name spelt the same way. She's infamous. Yeah. And and I'm a Howard Stern fan at that time, and she's going on Howard no, Stern. No, wait a second. Hold on. <laughs> How were you able to hide to your family, uh, your mother and father, evangelical ministers, that you were listening to Howard Stern, who's, <laughs> I mean. I mean, he was on regular radio at the time. He just turned it on, right? I mean, and they, they didn't mind it? They didn't know. They didn't oh, know. They didn't care. This was. I had it in a car. You know, I had my own car by the time I was sixteen. I was driving my own places. I had my own radio. I had my own money. I was. I had a job. I had a paper route. You know, I basically separated myself okay. from the family. Right. Right. You became independent and autonomous. Yeah, I left at seventeen and I was done. I never but now, came back. What about your peer group or your friends out there? Assuming, like uh, our well, listeners did, that you were related to Jessica. So Hunt. I used to say to them, "Yeah, you know, she's my cousin." And once I was at a wedding and she showed me her boobs. <laughs> you know, like I would say things like that when, God. I, when I was a teenage oh boy. God, ridiculous! I mean, Jesus should have struck you pe- down. People right used there. to say, you know, people would never get my name right they go huh what's your name han chris han i go no han just like jessica oh wow Je- so you wanted it, to pimp her it ride was, it was i was trying to grab onto her fame yeah, and ride it yeah. up so uh yeah but no there is no relation i wish her well i she gave us many great hours of entertainment on the howard Did stern you, show uh, what a perv pimped her ride because he recognized that was the han that everybody knew and i mean if you've ever seen pictures of the young Chris Hahn, schlubby, a schmendrick, a pisher, nondescript. Everybody knew Jessica Hahn, right? But what a perv. He's telling everybody she showed his her knockers to him. Can you believe this? And this guy was an evangelical. Yeah, 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 sure. Wait, wait, he goes on. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Did you ever uh, get cold busted where somebody came along and said, you're not related to Jessica Hahn? Never happened. And the funny thing is, Hahn is a very common German last yes, name. Yes, it is. It's like Smith in German. When I go to the Greenwood Cemetery, which is one of the largest cemeteries, mostly German, although it's changed over right. the years, you see a lot of the tombstones and mausoleums, Hahn, Hahn. So, yeah. you know, man, this was like the German wave, like in the uh, 1800s. When, like, 38 million Germans came to our shores. But our Hans are German Jews. Not Huns. Hans. Okay. The Hans that I'm fa- part of, the, the, the Hans stock. Well, I you would not have been my, permitted my, to be buried in the Greenwood gr- Cemetery. My grandfather, Louis Hahn, was a Holocaust survivor. He came over on the Kinder Transport, joined the Army, went back to Europe, spied on the Nazis in the front line. was mostly in the Italy theater, though. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it's it's I, I grew up thinking there were no other Hans until she came along. Wow. I didn't think there were any other so, because they all got wiped out in the Holocaust. So let me on get this. I'm, now I'm getting religious vertical, the, the way he's talking, right? And he keeps digging deeper and deeper. It's sort of like I had an artichoke, and the artichoke was Chris Hahn, and I was trying to get to the heart of the artichoke, but there were so many of those leaves that I had to get through first. I didn't even know you were born an evangelical, raised an evangelical. Well, I was born a Catholic. My mother got divorced from my Jewish father, right? I was baptized Catholic. Wait, wait, Now I got religious vertical. (laughs) Right. right. Your mother is Roman Catholic. Roman Catholic, Italian, Sicilian. Right. Oh, Sicilian. Ah, yes, sir. 
Did she, did Mucciolato. She, by the way, did she have a mustache? No. Uh, okay. no. She's still alive, my All right. So uh, she's not a Sicilian mountain right. woman. 16 when I was born, by the way. Wow. 17, maybe. I don't know. 16 when she got pregnant. Wow. 17 when I was born. Ooh. 11th grade. Escape. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> All right. So your father's Jewish. They end up having a divorce, right? Yes. Okay. She remarried. Yes. Is that when she was introduced to the she became First, she became a Lutheran because they wouldn't, she didn't think she could get God, married in the Lutheran. Catholic Church. Did she put up all the? Did she put up all the doctrines? We got rid of, of all Martin the saints. <laughs> you know, did she stamp it, was it kind on of, the Catholic? Lutheranism was like the transition religion. Yeah, but, 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 it was but kind remember, of, Martin Luther goes to the door of the Roman Catholics, puts on, "Hey, no, 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 you don't pay your way into heaven." But, right. So, did your mother go to the cathedral in Rockville Center, the Catholic cathedral, and put up all the Martin Luther St. Pat's down in uh, Ronkonkoma, more than likely? Oh my God. Ronkonkoma, instead of St. Agnes, right, in Rockville Center, with all the Irish Catholics who don't believe in birth control. Unbelievable. Wait, it gets deeper, this religious vertical. I'm peeling away the religious artichoke leaves of a guy that we thought was a heathen, we thought was an atheist, an agnostic, some of you thought was a communist. Chris Hahn. So we, we, so I, I... I left the Catholic Church. We were Lutheran for about a year, and then we became born-again Christians, and our church was affiliated with the church that Jessica Hahn was the uh, secretary uh, at. So my linkage was <laughs> So there is a link. It's a, it's a very sketchy link. So basically, link. I have been in many evangelical churches, although yeah, I'm yeah. not a holy roller. Right. In which they have addressed one another, brother, sister. Yeah, brother, And I'm sister. not talking about black churches. Right. Some of the white evangelical right. churches. So technically, I wasn't fibbing too much. Well, her and I, we both left the church, right? We both realized that it was really... What became of Jessica Hahn? I don't know. I mean, she's, she calls into Howard still once in a while. I hear her call in, but I think she's mostly retired at this point. Let me, let me, let me do this timeline again. You birthed a Roman Catholic. That's right. Okay. So you baptized, baptized in and Rockville made commun- Center made my communion. by Irish Roman Catholic priest and the bishop of the Archdiocese. I was, uh, I was baptized at St. Saint C- C- Saint Cecile's, I think, in Deer Park. Okay. So yeah. you baptized. Uh, your mom is married to a, a Jewish guy. Your dad. My dad. Uh, they go this. He was pretty ways. much a hippie. He didn't have any real religion, but okay. he was Jewish born. No, 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 that's right. understood. He comes yeah. from that era. Uh, and then all of a sudden, she marries. Uh, she 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 becomes a Lutheran first. Yeah, my and stepdad, who who also raised me from the time I was five or six years old, he was Irish and Italian, also Sicilian, uh, on his Italian side. But he was also Irish and, did, and he did was Catholic. You, when your mother was converted to the Lutheran faith, uh, did folks say to her, "Remember"? You have no indulgences. You cannot buy your way into heaven. We, <laughs> we told the Pope, you cannot buy your way into heaven. I have no idea. <laughs> I was six years old. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, did you ever think of becoming a boy preacher like no. Aslam Shady Sharp did? No. Right? no. I kind of feel like I'm a preacher when I'm on the air. Not when, even when I'm with God, you. When I'm it, on. Uh, Chris Hunt. Yes, sir. If all the people who watch the... Um, Million-plus people who watch Fox News on a regular basis and see you as a contributor yeah, knew yeah. that at one point you were an evangelical. They would understand why I'm so good at killing them with the Bible. Oh, my God. I once took They would Steve, say, heretic, burn him at the stake. I, I once took Steve Ducey down so badly. Steve Ducey? Using the Bible. 
that one, he never wanted to be on the air with me again. Now, which Bible were you using? I was using King the King James. James Version, and I was using the Book of Matthew. Or was it the Jim which, Baker Version? I was using version the Book of, of Matthew, which they don't like on the Republican right, Now, Party. when you were evangelical. <laughs> but, 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 but Bill Shine, who was then the vice president of programming at Fox News, yeah. came out of his office, came down to see me in the studio and goes, you should have just punched him in the face because at least people would have felt bad for him after what you just did oh to him. God. <laughs> so. And wait. It gets deeper. I'm now, I've got a few leaves off of the Chris Hahn artichoke. I have religious vertical. But the guy is just a fountain of information that I think we all now realize why he's so screwed up. I I think you're going to have to show compassion and empathy for Chris Hahn that you always love to beat up like a human pinata. I mean, look at what he's been through religiously. So we, we so I, I I left the Catholic Church. We were Lutheran for about a year, and then we became born again Christians and our church was affiliated with the church that Jessica Hahn was the ah, secretary ah, at. So my linkage was <laughs> So there is a link. It's a it's a very sketchy so basically, link. Basically I have been in many evangelical churches, although yeah, I'm yeah. not a holy roller. Right. In which they have addressed one another, brother, sister. Yeah, brother. And I'm sister. not talking about black churches, right. some of the white evangelical right. churches. So technically, I wasn't fibbing too much. Well, her and I, we both left the church, right? We both realized that it was really... What became of Jessica Hahn? I don't know. I mean, she calls into Howard still once in a while. I hear her call in, but I think she's mostly retired at this point. Now, you see, I allowed that to be played a second time because it was so good. You listen to it the first time, you said, no, no, Curtis made that up. That's not Chris Hahn. It is. That's him. You could put it in the um, oscillator and compare it to his voice on the radio. That's Chris Hahn. He, he continues on. Let me do this timeline again. You birthed a Roman Catholic. That's right. Okay. So you baptized, baptized in Rockville my Center commun- my communion. by Irish Roman Catholic priest and the bishop of the Archdiocese. I was, uh, I was baptized at St. Saint C- C- Saint Cecile's, I think, in Deer Park. Okay. So yeah. you baptize. Uh, your mom is married to a, a Jewish guy. Your dad. My dad. Uh, they go this. He was pretty ways. much a hippie. He didn't have any real religion, but okay. he was Jewish born. Well, no, that's right. understood. He comes yeah. from that era. Uh, and then all of a sudden, she marries, uh, she, she she becomes a Lutheran first. Yeah. My and stepdad, who, who also raised me from the time I was five or six years old, he was Irish and Italian, also Sicilian uh, on his Italian side. But he was also Irish and, did, and did he was Catholic. You, when your mother was converted to the Lutheran faith, uh, did folks say to her, remember... You have no indulgences. You cannot buy your way into heaven. We, <laughs> we told the Pope, you cannot buy your way into heaven. I have no idea. <laughs> I was six years old. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> did you ever think of becoming a boy preacher like no. Al Slim Shady Sharp did? No. Right? No. I kind of feel like I'm a preacher when I'm on the air. Not when, even when I'm with God, you. When I'm it, on. That's him. We played that a second time. Just so you know, it is him in the flesh. It's it's Chris Hahn, the aggressive progressive, the atheist, the agnostic, the communist, a man of no faith, only faith in President Joe Biden. Anyway, listen how much deeper he goes into this uh, religious quagmire that he lived through. Chris Hahn. Yes, sir. If all the people who watch, the million plus people who watch Fox News on a regular basis and see you as a contributor knew that at one point you were an evangelical... 
They would understand why I'm so good at killing them with the Bible. Oh, my God. I once took They would Steve, say, heretic, burn him at the stake. I, I once took Steve Ducey down so badly. Steve Ducey? Using the Bible. That one, he never wanted to be on the air with me again. Now, which Bible were you using? I was using King the Kim James. James version, and I was using the Book of Matthew. Or was it the Jim which, Baker version? I was using version the Book of Matthew, which they don't like on the Republican right, Now, Party. when you were evangelical. <laughs> but, 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 but Bill Shine, who was then the vice president of programming at Fox News, yes. came out of his office, came down to see me in the studio and goes, you should have just punched him in the face, because at least people would have felt bad for him after what you just did oh, to him. God. <laughs> so, all right, let's get back on track there in the studio. Now that we have established through our oscillator that, in fact, it is Chris Hahn. It is too le- too legit to quit Chris Hahn. Let us continue on this uh, voyage on the SS Confused Religious Passage that Chris Hahn has taken in his entire life. Okay, so here's Jim Baker, Tammy Faye Baker. You're watching the PTL on yeah, TV. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you have an urge to go down to the Disney World in South Carolina? No, but I did go to Creation, which was like a Woodstock for born again Christians, and it was down in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. With the Amish? Yeah. It was pretty, this is wild. Pretty crazy. Who would have thought this? Pretty this crazy. This is religious. Amy article. Grant was the uh, was the closing act. Wow. And you were into it at that point. I, at that point, I was pretty much not into it. Mm-hmm. I was done with it. My parents dragged me down. I was probably like 13 at the time, 14. He's in Lancaster, Pennsylvania with the Amish. He's on a religious pilgrimage. He's being entertained by Amy Grant. And wait, wait, it doesn't stop. Bible Sunday. school on Sunday morning, Bible school. We would go to church on Sunday all day. It would be like a like a five or six hour day of church. It was All horrible, day, and we would go on Wednesday night too. It was horrible. Wednesday night, oh my yeah. god, yeah, horrible, 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 horrible. You are the black sheep of your family. I, I had a, a situation when I was uh, fourteen, and I was in tenth grade, and I went to a party, and I was supposed to sleep over a friend's house, and my mother's like, "You can't go to the beach. Don't be going to the beach. You know, make sure." You're... Anyway, um, we the party was like an all night thing, and we all went to the beach. Uh-oh. And Sin. my mother calls uh, calls the my friend's house. His mother answers the phone. She goes, "Oh, I just wanted to see if Chris was going to come to church." And my friend's mother goes, "No, she went to he. They went to the beach. They all went to the beach." So I get home at like ten a.m. hadn't slept all night. You know, burnt. My mother goes, "Get dressed. We're going to church." Oh. I literally slept on the floor of the church. I remember like it was yesterday. <laughs> I remember like it was yesterday. I was like, and I remember just thinking to myself, as soon as I can, I am never coming here again. <laughs> and that's the way it is. You believe that? Wait, wait. You would think it's the end of the Odyssey, right? It's like we've peeled open an onion. We're starting to cry now because you got to feel for the, the kid, right? He's an abused kid. Religiously, he's been totally confused and abused. But no. It gets deeper. Jerry Falwell wasn't able to convince no, your parents Jerry to, send, a fraud. to send you to yeah. Liberty Baptist All College. All of those guys were frauds. And, and thank God, I thank God every day we were too poor. The church we went to on Long Island was called Love Christian Assembly. And when I was going into ninth grade, before I had given up the church, they had started a school. And we wanted to go to the school. And there were four of us. And my parents wanted to put us in school. We couldn't afford to go to the school. And they wouldn't give us a scholarship. So I didn't. I just stayed in public school. I thank God Every single day, I did not go to Love Christian Academy. Very few people who went to Love Christian Academy had any career at all, uh, any college career.
Wow. <laughs> so his two parents are evangelical ministers at an evangelical church out in Long Island that he won't even go to on Christmas. Wait, wait, there's more. Were you watching various televangelists on TV like oh, Jimmy yeah. Swaggart? Jimmy Swaggart, for sure. Every Sunday morning, I'd watch Jimmy Swaggart when I was doing my paper route. I'd come home, I'd watch From Jimmy Baton Swaggart. From Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, watch him all the time. I have sinned against you. <laughs> I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. And was... There's a whole panoply of them. Oh, yeah. It's a whole panoply of I them. I look at this guy, uh, Joel Oldstein, and I go, okay. Let's prosperity. Dig prosperity let's, preacher. Let's, yeah. The prosperity gospel. Um, if you believe in the prosperity gospel, you have never read the freaking gospel. Sorry. Now, wait The a one second. thing I take away from it, Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to pass All through right, the gate of heaven. All right, but Osteen and Houston, I don't believe that, which is know. like the size of the Astrodome, his church, it's too plastic for me and his wife, too plastic. He's the righteous gemstones. You but gotta... then you got to go with Cephalo Dollar, right? I don't even know who that the is. The brother, Cephalo Dollar. <laughs> he's at that same level, yeah. except he's African-American. Right, right. He had no idea who Cephalo Dollar is. But notice, this is child abuse. First off, his mother and dad, who are evangelical uh, ministers to this day out in Long Island, force him to get a newspaper route delivering the uber-liberal Long Island Newsday. So the kid is now being indoctrinated in progressive liberal values by delivering Long Island Newsday, ultra-liberal. And naturally, he's reading it. And then he's got to come home, and his parents tell him, you got to watch Jimmy Schwaggart on Sunday mornings after he delivers the Sunday Long Island Newsday, which you could actually get a double hernia from. Especially years ago, you know, I had a lot of inserts, coupons, the whole nine yards. This goes back before your time to Reverend Ike. Reverend Ike was, at one point in America, the number one televangelist, African-American, from the huge Lowe's, which he turned into a church in Washington Heights, right before you get on the GW Bridge and go over to Jersey. He was ostentatious. He came out almost a little bit like Liberace. Right, right. And he would say to everybody, all across the nation, he was on a superstation, you believe that money is evil? You got to send that money to me so I could purge it of the devil. And by the way, I'm going to get part of that that I need to do God's work. Right. He had the roles. He has money is not Planes. everything. Yeah. I see these guys saying, send me your money. I need a new G5. Really? <laughs> Jesus wanted you to have a G5 to do what? Oh. What do you need a G5 and then for? Reverend Ike always had this young guy who was like his concierge. Right, right. You knew he was snacking on the yeah, young guy. And this is the thing I love when these guys come out and they're always anti gay. They're anti gay. And then they turn out to be gay. I think almost every time. Every single time I've seen one of these big evangelical uh, preachers come out strongly against homosexuality in any way, shape, or form. It is almost always, without fail, turned out that those people were homosexual. And they get, why do they care? They get a rub and tug from some young boy. Right. And then, you know, they think nobody's ever going to find out. Kidding me? God, who knew this? Who knew? We have pulled back the layers of Chris Hahn. Oh, yeah. The younger brother of Jessica Hahn, <laughs> who grew up like she did, an evangelical. Oh, I'm like a, I'm like a Fila cake here. Well, stop. Stop now. We've, we've had enough. I know our listeners... Don't believe this. They think maybe this is, he's a, 
he's uh, a thespian, that he made this up, right? No. No. Who knew that he was raised an evangelical, that his mother and father, to this day, are evangelical ministers out on Long Island? And now you understand why he has become a progressive, aggressive mouthpiece who really hates everything. I mean, look, if you had to deliver Long Island Newsday on Sundays, and, you know, people don't pay you for that. It's like, yeah, I'll get you. I'll get you next Sunday, kid. So you're already in debt. You really pissed off at capitalism, right? Because it's now costing you money to deliver this this liberal piece of propaganda at Long Island Newsday. And your parents make you come home and watch Jimmy Swaggart, which was torturous. Remember how Jimmy Swaggart was in his temple in Baton Rouge? God! And the kid is like believing it. I believe that Chris Hahn is talking in tongues now. He's talking in tongues. This is the real definition of child abuse. So when you call up and you criticize Chris Hahn, as many of you do, when you vilify him, when you compare him to uh, Vladimir Putin and Satan, as some of you do. No, 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 no. Now you understand the roots of his origin. You understand the basic, the basis of why he is so angry at so many things out there and why he has latched on to President Joe Biden. He's looking for a father figure, Scranton Joe, the father he never had. Remember, he has a a Jewish father first who is a hippie. He described him as a hippie. Then he has, he goes from that to an evangelical father who, as he said, was part Siciliano. Boy, is that confusing. And then he's dragged into church because he was hanging out drinking brewskis with everyone on the North Shore there, the L.A., Long Island Sound. And his mother says, oh, no, you're not going to sleep. You're coming with us to church. And he's laying down on the ground, and they're dancing around him with snakes around their neck, trying to cast out the demons. And Christopher Hahn, he was drinking brewski, the evil rum. Maybe he was involved in decadence and debauchery. And he's laying on the ground, and he's looking up at the ceiling of that evangelical church, saying, I'll never come back here. Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen? Do you understand? The root of the problem. He purged himself today. This is sort of like a a form of um, psychiatry. It's like wealthy people on the island of Manhattan, the wealthiest uh, real estate in the world, brag about how many trips that they have, how many sessions with their shrink, their psychologist. Yeah, you know, just so that they can figure out why all the furniture is upstairs and rearranged in the wrong rooms. We now know why Chris Hahn is the bad boy that he is. He's a rebel who is rebelling against being over-religiized. Yeah, religiosity has gripped him. Could any of you have survived that? Think of it. You're born a Roman Catholic. You're surrounded by all these Irish Roman Catholics at St. Agnes in Rockville Center, right in the shadow of the cathedral there, the archbishop, telling you you cannot even use a condom. You cannot even use a condom. That is a sin against God. 
Yeah, well, look at the Irish out, out there in the Rockaways. They don't believe in birth control. It's obvious. There's 9, 10, 11, 12, and they all have freckles. So the kid is confused. And then all of a sudden, he goes from being a Roman Catholic to a Lutheran. Martin Luther is standing there outside of the church, and he's putting on indulgences on the door and saying, we'll never pay in order to get into heaven. And by the way, you want us to pay for an annulment? The guy's been married 18 years, has eight children, and just because he throws some money at the Vatican, it's like the marriage never existed. We condemn that. And the Reformation came about. And how many people were killed? Hundreds of thousands were battling across Europe. Forget the Ukraine and Russia. Hundreds of thousands slaughtered off with your head. Oliver Cromwell, the Orange, the Irish, the Roman Catholics. The Reformation, millions died. The blood of Catholics and Protestants seeped into Eastern Europe and Western Europe. Poor Chris Hahn is the product of all that. He's so confused. He doesn't know who he is. Now, 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 now you understand. If you're on talk radio, I've always told you talk radio is the most intimate of any of the communication devices You learn things about the host and hostesses that you never thought before possible. There's something about a microphone that causes the secrets that you would have taken with you to your grave. And we experience that today with the demonic Chris Hahn. He's on a mission. He doesn't realize it, but he's out to destroy religiosity. So the next time you get angry at him, Understand how he was so abused, delivering Long Island Newsday on Sunday, and all the liberals tell him, yeah, I'll, I'll pay you, I'll get you next Sunday. It, it, it caused him to no longer want to be a capitalist, and then having to watch Jimmy Schwager every freaking Sunday morning. I'd rather be waterboarded by Dick Cheney in Gitmo with Yoko Ono singing nonstop 24 hours a day in the background causing me sleep deprivation than to have to listen to Jimmy Schwaggett every Sunday morning. Where was child welfare? Where was Dyfus? Now you understand. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. You don't love Chris Hahn, you really hate him. That's because you just don't understand him. Imagine he grew up in a household in which if he were listening to Cousin Brucie spinning stacks of wax top 40, playing the Shirelles, that would have been considered sinful music, what the Shirelles were singing. Bubblegum. Bubblegum, right, Pop? Imagine how oppressive 
that situation was. I hope in the future, when you're ready to scream and yell and turn him into a human piñata, that you think back to the peeling of the uh, artichoke of Chris Hahn and how he got to the core, the heart. And we determined that he has no heart. He has no soul. He's vapid as a result of having no religiosity. He did. And even went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania with the Amish. And listened to Amy Grant. And still, it was like an Etch-A-Sketch. It all got voided out. Have you ever known of anybody who has gone through so many transitions in terms of religion than Chris Hahn has? It's almost like if Alexander's, before they had destroyed that great department store, had become a department store for religions. First floor, second floor, third floor, fourth floor. And Chris Hahn would have been all of those and more. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Peter, who's calling from Muncie. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Peter. Hi, Curtis. It's uh, Peter from Muncie. Yes, Peter. Curtis, I'm a psychiatrist in Middletown, New York, and I just want to say from now on, uh, I'll always think of you as an honorary psychiatrist. Wow. Uh, And why is that, Peter? Well, like you said, you achieved more in one session with uh, your analysis than uh, most of us can do in a couple of years. Wow. And how much training did you have prior to uh, putting up a shingle uh, as a uh, psychiatrist? About uh, six years. Hmm. Did you ever run across uh, a case like Chris Hahn? Uh, all the time, but the thing is, people don't want to get better. I think he put himself in a situation where he really opened up to you, and uh, he really reached out to you, and uh, I don't think anybody else could have brought that out from him. Remember when he talked about how he finally broke away from the evangelical prison he was living in? He went to Sunken Meadows Park on the north shore of Long Island, on the Long Island Sound, with some of his buddies, and they were drinking. He stayed out all night against the wishes of his mother, the matriarch. And instead of her letting him go to sleep in the morning, she said, No, you're coming to church. Well, she she pushed him away from from it by her actions. She she could have she could have pushed him away with the left hand and brought him back with the right hand, but she uh, she pushed him away forever. That's my. Can, can you imagine? Opinion. He's laying down. You know, he's got a throbbing headache from the hangover he's had. We've all been in that situation before. There's not enough buffering in the world to deal with that headache. He wants to barf. He's laying on his back. He's staring up at the ceiling of his mom and dad's evangelical church. They're screaming, God, hallelujah, hallelujah. He's, and he's freaking out. He's, yeah, he's totally was, freaking out. That was a straw that broke the camel's back for him. But I think, but, I think Peter, when people get angry at him, because he's easy to get angry at, we see now why he's such a contrarian, why he's like a snapping turtle to our callers, to our listeners, to our WABC family. Yeah, Sigmund Freud had a name for that. He called that reaction formation. It means uh, if, you, if you feel really weak, you become a tough guy. If you feel this way, you become the opposite. 
it's a defense mechanism, as, as they say in psychiatry. Yeah, and uh, I, I truly believe that Chris Hunt, we're going we're gonna to probe more of his layers now that he is beginning to open up to us. This is like a form of therapy for him. I wouldn't doubt, like Signum Freud, when he was up at that gin mill in Albany, tending bar while going to Albany's, Albany uh, uh, University, that he was probably doing lines of cocaine just like Sigmund Freud, right? <laughs> probably. Curtis, you just had me laughing. You're a natural psychiatrist. Now, right? now, I trace it back, not to Sigmund Freud. Yeah. I trace it to Dr. Spock. I think yeah. every male's problem starts with the porcelain palace. Uh, because remember, it was Dr. Spock's observation. Remember, I grew up with Dr. Spock because in the 60s, he was out there against the war in Vietnam. He was leading the anti-war movement. But people yeah. said that's not his claim to fame. His claim to fame was talking about how young boys were having problems because they weren't properly potty trained. Yeah. And I think, although I'll get to it in future episodes, and people have to listen religiously, it's almost like appointment radio now, that you're going to hear this session that I have with Chris Hahn every Sunday from 3 to 5, that there was probably a point where he missed the desired target. And you know what happens. Some mothers will come in and they'll be understanding and explain to their son, okay, we all have accidents, son. And then other mothers will say, take that shirt off and wipe that crap up now. Well, possibly. You have a lot of work uh, cut out for you, and uh, I think your therapy with him will uh, will be ongoing. Any recommendations in terms of how we can get him back uh, into the mainstream so he's not so antagonistic, adversarial, and most importantly, uh, contrarian? Um, just keep humoring him. That's the uh, my advice. Mm-hmm. Is it, from your experiences, because obviously uh, you do sessions and you have uh, uh, you have clients or patients that come to you regularly, is this just possibly the tip of the iceberg? Might it really, like, it's like it's 700 leagues under the sea that we're going to go with this guy? No, you know, like Shrek, uh, Shrek says, uh, people are like onions. <clears throat> so you just have to keep peeling back uh, layer by layer by layer. Well, I promise uh, you, on behalf of psychiatrists across America, that I will not just continue the fight against the Scientologists who tried to sully your reputation. L. Ron Hubbard spent his entire life trying to tell people, don't go for analysis, don't go to shrinks, just give me all your money, and I'll give you a personality test. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I owe you, Peter. Okay, Kurt. I owe you. Thank I, you, Curtis. Uh, keep, keep up the good work. And, you know, I myself, uh, I've gone to shrinks from time to time. You should see that. You know, always it had to do with trying to put your marriage back. You know, first they send you to a priest. They say, hey, Curtis, come on. You want to do the right thing. Well, why don't you sit with a priest, you know, you and uh, your ex or soon-to-be ex. So you got to do it. You got to apply. You got to show you're trying to cooperate. So now I'm looking at some guy from Nigeria or Poland or, or Chile who couldn't find his way around the parish uh, if he had a map. And he's sitting there and he's telling me about marriage. And I said, hey, pal, are you married? No. Have you ever been married? No. 
You're from Nigeria. Were you a Muslim where they let you had four wives and then you converted and because you wanted to become a Roman Catholic priest, the quickest way to get a green card to come into America? Well, okay, so you I can talk to. You had four wives. You know the Mishikash. But the rest of them, I'm, I'm going to be counseled by somebody who's never been married? So they would then say to me, okay, Curtis, the priest thing didn't work for you. You got to go to a shrink. And I remember going to a shrink here on the Upper East Side just to placate everybody like I was going to try. And the guy was telling me, he was saying, you know what this is the root of, Curtis? You had problems with your mother. No, no, no. My mother was a saint. She, Francesca. She was like, you know, there was the Blessed Virgin Mother Mary, lady, the Lady of Guadalupe, and then there was Francesca. Oh, no. Subliminally, you had problems with your mother. I said, excuse me, you know, it's my mother. I grew up with her. I, I had no problem. Your father, you had problems. My father, he was away most of the time. He was a merchant seaman. Aha! You see, you had separation anxiety from your father. And that's bec- that's why you, you do these kinds of things. You You don't mind separating from your wife. You don't mind going through a divorce. I said... Who the hell are you to be telling me about my mother and my father? I wanted to punch that guy's glass. You know, he had the glasses, the city. He had the freaking pipe in his mouth. You know, well, it was can't smoke the pipe, but he has the pipe in his mouth. You know, like he's Sherlock Holmes. Like this makes him an intellect. And you know what they charge you? Oh, my God. You know, if they if they pick up the pencil to take notes, you get charged. You know, it's like lawyers. You know, every sentence they charge you, every sentence the shrink writes down, he charges you. You get a bill. Your eyeballs are out. It's like paying for gasoline now. You know, it's like $5 a minute. And then all of a sudden, you're going to come back next week. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. We've just started to figure out why you're such a hot mess. So you actually leave a shrink's office and you're all depressed. You're like saying, well, maybe there is something wrong with me. And then all of a sudden you're walking around and you say, nah, there's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with that shrink. He wants me to think there's something wrong with me. So I keep coming back and back and back. Oh, yeah, ladies, I did everything to try to repair my marriages. But when they brought the guy in from Poland, right, this was the classic one. I say, hey. He goes, oh, you're Polish. Shliva. I say, yeah, yeah. He goes, oh, you have to stay married. Really? Have you ever been married? No, I would never marry. Have you ever cheated? You know, cheated on God and had a home slice on the side. I would never have thought of it. Liar, liar, pants on fire. I've caught you priests all the time with a second family on the side, home slices. Don't lie to me. And the guy didn't know what to say. See, I cold busted him. Let's go to Eileen, who's been patiently waiting on the line. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eileen. Hi, Curtis. Um, I just want to let you know you are on fire tonight. And I told the call screener I was going to say something, a, a wisecrack about Chris Hahn. Of course, feel free to do so. I really don't want to. 
I feel ashamed for what you, the story you and Chris told. He was abused. Mm. I will never, ever, ever shred that man again. And you, Eileen, were one of his most regular critics. Big time. I called a man S-H-M-U-C-K over the phone two years ago. Yes. Yes. I didn't know, and I feel guilty as sin. You have no idea how bad I feel, because I don't believe in kicking a man, kicking a person when they're down. And Chris Hahn is down, and I will pray for him. I'm not a holy roller. But I will say a prayer for him, and I like that psychiatrist. I think his name is Peter. Yes, yes, from Rockland County. Yes, from Muncie, Muncie. I like him. Mm-hmm. You are like a psychiatrist, and you, in my estimation, you are like a professor. I am learning so much from you, especially tonight. You have no idea how bad I feel in my heart for Chris. No, you I, have I, no idea. You don't know the guilt I feel, Curtis. Mm-hmm. I feel terrible for him. <laughs> I feel terrible for him. And please, let's all say a prayer for Christopher Hahn. The guy is hurting. And he's a young man. We don't want him to, you know, leave Earth. We want to keep him alive. And I want him, most of all, to be happy. That is so noble of you to recognize that we all misjudged him. Hey, when I'm wrong, I admit it. I admit it. That's all. Eileen, in future episodes, you can either listen on Sundays from uh, 3 to 5 or get it on the podcast. Mm -hmm. I will peel back more of the layers of the Chris Hahn artichoke so that we can understand the depths of his suffering. Mm-hmm. And can I call, what, 3 to 5, you said? Yes, 3 to 5 on Sundays. Can I call next Sunday? At yes. Between 3 and 5, I yes. want to talk to Chris. Yes. And I want to remind him what I said, and I want to apologize to him, to his face, mm-hmm. on the phone. Yeah, because over over the years, I've heard you, Eileen, you would get on that phone, and you would incinerate him. I know. I know. I'm sorry. You don't know how bad I feel. A lot of people. A lot of people right now. You have now no can... idea how guilty I feel. I, 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 If I die tonight, you know where I'm going. I'm not going up. You're going straight down. I know. I know. Eileen. Uh, I feel bad, Curtis. Don't, don't, don't criticize yourself because everyone out there is feeling the same way you are. They would call in. They would attack Chris. They I would, know. They would demonize him, vilify him. And I they, know. They knew not what he had gone through as a young I boy. I know. I mean, thinking of it, Eileen, he's, he's laying down on the ground. He, he's got this throbbing headache. I know. He's staring at the ceiling in this evangelical church. They're screaming, amen, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's the worst thing for a hangover. Oh, Been mad done that. Oh, t- completely. Believe you me. Oh, man. Man, I've forget been there. about I've it. been there. Like, you don't want to hear a pin drop. You don't want, I know, I'm telling you, we, we shouldn't go there. Don't even get me started. I mean. But the poor guy. Next. Oh, the poor guy. Next. I, 
I am so ashamed of myself. You're not alone. There are so many people out there, Eileen, who now realize why Chris is the confused young man. God is going to forgive me. Yes, but we have to have patience. We have to have patience. With everybody. Yes. This is a lesson for me. A lesson. This is a lesson. Hey, don't judge a man until you've walked a mile in his shoes. The old Native American. Oh, so, so right. A mile in his uh, Rockwell shoes. Rockport, excuse me, for old people. You see, we've done something. We've amended our ways tonight. How many people in talk radio can ever make that claim? WABC. Hey, it's Bernie and Sid in the morning. Alexa, enable the 77 WABC skill and listen worldwide to an American original. 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays and WABC. WABC, Dominic Carter, entertaining and informative. I don't understand why we have to hate each other. To be honest with you, in this country of opportunity, what do you have to be so angry at when you're attacking someone simply because they don't look like you? Dominic Carter, weeknights at midnight, just before every other side of midnight. Talk Radio 77, WABC. You never know who will be on Cats at Night. I know a little bit about oil. Oil has hit $110 a barrel. And the prices at the gas pump and uh, the prices at the grocery stores, and you haven't seen anything yet. The month of March is going to be brutal. The inflation rate is going to be brutal. God bless New York. God bless America. And uh, let's send a blood to Ukraine, too, and keep those people safe. Cats at Night, weeknights at 5 on 77 WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. so good. You run home from school, turn on the TV, and there it was. It was the best. Adam West as Bruce Wayne, Burt Ward as Robin. And by the way, uh, Burt Ward, I believe, is a cat lover. That's a great preview to uh, my wife, Nancy, will be joining us as she does each and every week. Uh, in the 12 midnight hour, 12 to 1, uh, talking about animal welfare, not just dogs and cats, uh, but everything related to animals. It is the most listened to. People start calling up uh, already. They're calling up. They want to they wanna talk with Nancy about animal welfare issues. Uh, and it has the highest ratings of the 20 hours that I do in talk radio on the weekends where WABC, the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. But Burt Ward, that's right, Robin. 
is a cat lover. Apparently has uh, quite a few cats. What I could never understand, because uh, today they had the premiere of the latest Batman movie at Lincoln Center, all the trendoids, freakasoids, jet setters from Hollywood. They were all there. You know, they had their caviar, they had their sturgeon, they had their imported champagne. And they were toasting the fact that, what is this, like uh, the 8th, ninth, 10th Batman movie? We'll go through all of that. But it all starts with the TV series. If memory serves me correct, I believe it was like 1966 that I first saw it. Oh, God, it was so good. Harry was 12 years old, running home. Uh, from PS114 and Builder C. Junior High School in Canarsie. Couldn't wait to see it. Pow! Boom! Crash! Crunch! Never saw a program like that before. It was so good. And Adam West, you know, he was the ultimate wasp, right? The ultimate wasp. You know, he was like the Michael Bloomberg. No wasp, but trying to be a wasp, Michael Bloomberg. Hey, you're Jewish, Michael Bloomberg. Be Jewish. No, I want to be a wasp. Just like Adam West. And remember, he was uh, so rich. But the first bit of trivia here, because, you know, Frank Morano will be joining us at 1 o'clock to take you through the other side of midnight throughout the week, 1 to 5. Says, oh, trivia, it never leads to any further discussion. Yes, it always does. Who is the man Friday? Who is the butler? Who is the Jeeves of the Batman series? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. What I remember as a kid, it was so corny. Remember how Adam West would tell us, you got to use seatbelts? You'd be in the Batmobile, and it wouldn't go anywhere until you put your seatbelts on? Subliminally. It was brainwashing you to, hey, if I got to wear seatbelts in the Batmobile, I got to wear seatbelts in mom and dad's old Betsy, the 54 Ford, you know, with the uh, wood paneling and the white wall tires, the old station wagon. And you got to do your homework. I don't need that. Yeah, yeah. That's what you learn from Batman is after you watch it, you got to do your homework. You got to eat your veggies. Before there was Eric Adams talking about, that's right, you got to be a vegan, although he's not. It was Adam West talking about eating your veggies. And you had to drink milk. Not chocolate milk. Not strawberry milk. Good old-fashioned whole milk. Not 1% milk. Not lactate. Not 2% milk. Real milk from Elsie the cow. And there were 120 episodes. And I remember, ladies and gentlemen, who was Catwoman? Who was Catwoman in that series? Who was the Joker? Who was Penguin? Who was Riddler? But most importantly, who was Jeeves? Who was the butler? Who was like the uh, straw that stirred the drink? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And now that we flip from the TV series. And by the way, did you see recently... They had Batman number one, the comic book, the original Batman. It sold for $2.2 million, a freaking comic book at Southbees. $2.2 million. First edition, 1940. 
Did you ever think that your comic book collection, your Marvel comic book collection, that in that collection of yours that you had hidden in your attic, that you had hidden in your closet, in your garage, in your basement, that you had comics that eventually would be worth $500,000, a million dollars, two million dollars. All the Marvel figures. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And now with the premiere of the latest uh, movie, the Batman movie at the premiere today at Lincoln Center. What was your all-time favorite Batman movie? Because naturally everybody makes comparisons. Was it The Dark Knight? Did you like a Batman who was a, a dark figure? You know, a complex figure? A brooding figure? Or did you like a Batman who was sort of almost uh, Adam Westy? Very positive, you know. He's a mentor. Leading us. Leading us with good habits. Even flossing his teeth. It's the first time I ever saw anybody tell you you need not just to brush your teeth. Remember, up and down, not round and round, up and down, and floss your teeth. I was watching Adam West, Bruce Wayne, get his teeth flossed by his Jeeves, by his butler, by his man Friday. And who was that person? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I believe that we're having a problem. Gentlemen in the studio, this plagues us all the time. It's an act of sabotage that is uh, launched against me because I have been labeled the Vladimir Putin of talk radio and the fact that I'm never satisfied. I want to do more and more talk radio. And they believe that I have eyes on actually getting into the daytime schedule at some point, you know, six to six. That's when you're a real player. That's when you're a roller. That's when you're a baller. That's when you're the man. And so they keep me boxed in. What they do purposefully is they disconnect the discronificator, which actually merges, converges all the calls that come in from our sister station on the FM side, WLIR out in the Hamptons, FM standing for feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana, and, of course, Frank Morano. And then there's AM, active-minded, the 50,000 powerful watts of sound that pulsate off of our Tower of Power in Lodi, New Jersey, right next to the infamous Bada Bing, the strip club where our head engineer, Dan, is always getting a lap dance in a Brumsky. That's why he's never fixing this. Never. It's a, it was a gorgeous day out there. There's no ice on the tower. The signal is scrambled because he's too busy getting brumsky and by the way, what is it, Brumsky, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for all of you cognoscente out there? What is it when you go to a strip club? And don't tell me you guys and gals haven't been to strip clubs because I know you haven't. And you get offered a Brumsky. And let's keep it PG, please, here. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to uh, Carlos uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Carlos. Hey, Curtis. Well, I was calling you since yesterday. I got disconnected three times. All right, hold on a second, uh, Carlos. Uh, you're on speakerphone, right? Well, I'm on an Alexa app. I don't 
doesn't have a uh, cell phone because my cell phone is broken. And uh, I got it in the repair shop. I told the, the, the screener that that's the reason why you probably hear me a little louder than normal. Now, now, now um, hold on, Carlos. Uh, so your Obama cell phone is broken. No, no, no. I ain't got no Obama cell phone. I'm a Wall Street guy. I'm retired from, uh, I lived in Brooklyn, New York, Halsey Street, Elder Street of Bushwick Avenue. I know what you're talking about when you say you cross over on Linden Boulevard, Pennsylvania Avenue, the Burger King over there. I used to go up there. My dad worked on Fountain Avenue and Linden Boulevard, 4C Foods. Oh, wow. All right. So, no, no, you're legit. You're legit. Now, what brought you out to Scottsdale, Arizona? Okay, I said my beautiful bride of 37 years brought me out here because she got an offer she couldn't refuse. She worked for a company in New York City. It used to be called ITT. They were the owners of the Knicks, the Rangers, Madison Square Garden, the Dow Jones, Avis uh, Rental Car Systems, and uh, Western Hotels. Sheridan Hotels, and in Europe, the Chiga brand, the St. Regis. So I stayed all over the world because of my beautiful bride. Wow. They moved the headquarters. They moved their headquarters, uh, their treasury department, to Scottsdale, uh, to Phoenix, excuse me, down on Camelback uh, Avenue, uh, Camelback Road in Phoenix. Oh, I know where I live, in, I live in Scottsdale. Up by the near the Mayo Clinic. So, um, and I was listening. I always listen to your show. I like, I like you, and I like uh, what you stand for. I applaud you all the time. I defend you over here with all these mama loops out here that don't even know what a slice of pizza, a pie, a pizza pie. Hey, what's a pizza pie? It's the whole thing, you schmo. It's the whole thing. Where you from? Where you from? And it, it, what kind of Italians are out here? The Italians that don't even know what eggplant, mulinia, uh, a melanzana, melanzana. I grew up with Italians because I lived in Bushwick, but I, then I moved my, my, my culo to uh, Ozone Park. Ozone Park, 101st Avenue. St. Mary, uh, Queen of Heaven, over there on 101st, over there by the Bergen Fish and Hunt Club. That was the the club. That was the interfering with him because he mentioned the Bergen Hunt Fish and Shoot Human Beings Club of the Gottis. I was going to ask him, and this is the trivia I'm going to ask all of you. What two infamous New Yorkers from the five boroughs moved out to Arizona? One to Tucson. One to North Phoenix. And very much like we heard that gentleman speak in Scottsdale, had their roots uh, in Brooklyn. And they became infamous. One is still around. He does podcasts. And the other one is room temperature. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Bernie, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bernie. 
The Batman that you saw in 1966 was Adam West with pure garbage. The original Batman was on the radio, on the Superman radio programs in the early 1940s. In 1943, Batman and Robin were on the radio with the Superman. And also in 1943, the original Batman and Robin were cast in the Columbia serial called Batman, where Batman and Robin fought a Japanese spy who was during the war. The Japanese spy was played by Carol Nash, and the original Batman was played by Lewis Wilson. In 1948, the second Batman uh, serial was made by Columbia Pictures, and Batman was played by Robert Lowry. In 1966, the next appearance of Batman was with Adam West. It was pure garbage. The latest Batmans that came were not equal to the serials or to the radio. Now, Bernie, why are you so jaundiced uh, to the TV program that had 120 episodes. By the way, uh, we'll, we'll get to you momentarily, Bernie. We've yet to have anyone who grew up like me watching uh, the Batman episodes after school uh, tell me who played Catwoman, Joker, Penguin, Riddler. Uh, do you happen to know, uh, Bernie? Uh, I know you said it's garbage, but did you happen to know the actors and actresses who actually played in that TV series? The, the person, I thought two of them, the person who played the Penguin in the 1966 Batman was Burgess Meredith, and the one who played the Joker was Cesar Romero in the 1966. I don't remember who played the Catwoman. Wow, you see? You're, you're, you're very cogent, but you're very angry at the TV series, even though it brought a lot of joy to us. It introduced us to Batman Maybe you'd want to rethink it because it was uh, it was campy. It was campy. It wasn't supposed to be serious as a heart attack. The original Batman in the television is all say garbage. The radio I listened to as a kid. Oh God! I can't let him trash Batman. <laughs> We all grew up with Batman on TV. It was for free. How can you trash something that was for free? If we went to the movie theater, you know what they charge for Batman? Now they want a premium price like 30 bucks. 30 bucks. That's crazy. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. That guy, Bernie, you know, is calling from Staten Island. That's what Frank Morano sounds like now. A crotchety contrarian. Must be something in the water out there. Really, must be. I mean, he he had his facts together. You know, he had the timeline together. It was great. But the, then he trashed the TV program. I was, wow, that hurt. All those times I would run back from school just to make sure. Kaboom! Bang! Pow! And who is that sensuous... Woman who played Catwoman. Maybe the best Catwoman ever, and that includes those that came out on the movie. And didn't they create at some point Catwoman who is a lesbian? Pretty sure they did that. 
But there was a cat woman on the TV show. Man. Yeah, jungle fever. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Gino's calling from Wilton, New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gino. Hi, Curtis. I think I know the answer to those uh, two mafia user guys who moved out to Arizona. I think it's Mr. Joe Bonanno and uh, Sammy the Bull. That's right, Joe Bonanno, who moved to Tucson, Arizona. Right, right, and Sammy the Bull. He wrote his book, and do you know who represented him in federal court out there versus U.S. attorney uh, at some point? That was also Rudy Giuliani. Do you know who represented him, who his uh, defense counsel was? No, I don't know. William Kunstler. Oh, William (laughs) I met him one time. (laughs) William William Kunstler. And everybody wanted to know. Because it was always it was always said, you know, you couldn't leave the mob. You know, the only way you could leave was in a casket. That's right. Bonanno left the mob, uh, and nothing happened to him. And wrote a book. Remember, you were never supposed to write a memoir or a book about what went on in organized crime, the five families of organized crime. But then, before that, before Joe Bonanno, there was Frankie Costello. Mm-hmm. He left the mob. He he wasn't whacked. Although remember, there was that time he was walking his, into his apartment, not far from where I live on Central Park West, little north of me. I'm on 87th, uh, 87th uh, on on the way towards Columbus. And right. he got out of his car. He walked into the foyer of the apartment building on Central Park West, and there was a figure lurking behind the staircase who said, hey, Bingo. Frankie. <laughs> and he turned, and one shot was fired. And then all of a sudden, that person who fled was Vinny the chin giganti. The chin. The right. guy walked around in the bathrobe, right. right. With the uh, Irish walking cap on. He would have been well right. uh, accepted in all the St. Patrick's Day parades. Right. <laughs> But now think of it. Uh, he failed in his mission to kill Frankie Costello. Frankie mm-hmm. Costello took that as a warning that it was time to leave with his 401k and his gold watch. And where did he go? And by the way, where did Frankie Costello go when the heat was on? When when law enforcement was trying to pinch him, when he was still active, when he was the head of organized crime, fixing races at the Arlington racetrack. For J. Edgar Hoover, so he'd always win. And his wow. uh, boy toy, Tolson, the number two guy in the FBI, you know, they were two wow. lovebirds. And right, Frankie right. Costello would fix the races so that they would always win. Yeah, yeah. That's why when J. Edgar Hoover was asked, hey, how come you never do anything about Italian organized crime like Cosa Nostra, the mafia? <laughs> he said, there's no such thing. It's an aberration. Wow. But this, this was great. In fact, Gino, stay on the line. Because you have won the Curtis Lee Booby Prize. Don't ask, don't tell, because I'm so cheap. We throw nickels around like manhole covers. What I will do is I will scrape some of my belly button lint, put it into a envelope, hermetically seal it with lots of scotch tape. And, Gino, I will send it to you the old-fashioned way, COD, cash on delivery. Oh, Marlon, go have some scotch and beans, will you? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Please, stay on the line. Stay on the line. Hey, hey, hey phone screener. 
Make sure you get Gino's information. We'll send him also, since he's a spaghetti bender, we'll send him a nice box of Ranzoni's Solobone. Let's go to Angela, who's calling from Linden, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Angela. Curtis, it's Julie Newmar's Catwoman. All right, that's one of the Catwomans. But uh, who was Catgirl? Catgirl. It was a brunette who was Catgirl. Hmm. And I cannot remember her name. Wow. So, Angela, we're going to have to call upon our cognoscente who listen here who love the trivia that we throw out. I'm not throwing this out. Angela's throwing this out to everybody. Uh, who was Cat Girl? Wow. Now, Angela, are you from Linden, New Jersey? No, not originally. Uh, where are you from originally? I am from Westchester County, New York. Ah, because I was going to say, my God, uh, to all the people who listen to us that are from Linden, New Jersey, why, why? Are you masochists? Will we dump our garbage in Linden from New York City? We put it in those uh, those trains that takes it out to uh, western Pennsylvania. They have a medical incineration plant right there that incinerates all of New York City's medical waste. It's all in Linden, New Jersey. Why would anybody want to live in that toxic browning field? Well, it's... That's part of what goes on here, but there's nice parts, too. Yeah, but there's also the Hess petroleum plant, the refinery. Then there's the chemical plants. My God, I'm surprised people don't get cancer from the tip of their nose to the tip of their toes. Angela, we go down to the shore. uh, We go down to the shore and get it all cleaned out. That's right. But on behalf of Angela, who is suffering in Linden, New Jersey, ladies and gentlemen, we must find out who was Cat Girl. I don't even remember Cat Girl. 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to George in Flushing, where I was tonight, earlier tonight, at a great Chinese-American banquet. Because remember, I won the Asian vote against Eric Adams, and the Asian community has not forgotten Curtis Lee. Well, that's for sure. But go for go for it, George. Curtis, how are you? Oh, stop, 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 stop. Okay, Yvonne Craig. Yvonne Craig played Bat Girl. Hmm. Bat Girl, not Cat Girl. Hmm. Okay? And she was hot, and she was really, really hot back then. All of them were in the 60s. Forget about it. All right, but that Anyways, that was Cat Girl, right? No, not Cat Girl, Bat Girl. All right, Bat Girl, but who right, was that? Was Commissioner Gordon's daughter? Right, who was Cat Woman or Bat Woman? No, Cat Woman was Lee Merriweather, which is the lady from uh, that uh, guy from uh, the detective from uh, Beverly Hillbillies, Buddy Epson's secretary. Then you had Eartha Kitt. She was the first African American out there. She was the uh, Catwoman. And then, of course, Julie Newmar. Oh, but Eartha Kitt was the best. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's because, yes, she had that accent that really made everybody crazy. Not only that, um, it made you you want to experience jungle fever. Well, see, I didn't want to get there, but... (laughs) I mean, that's why, you know, that's why Spike Lee made that movie, Jungle Fever, was about... Uh, the urge to merge whites and blacks. Yes, how many? Absolutely. How many young men were watching Eartha Kitt and saying, "Oh my yeah. God!" But Curtis, you remember they always used to say, "Once you go black, you never go back." 
Well, that was my first wife, and I didn't go really? back. <laughs> but anyway, you had everybody out there. You had Roddy McDowell playing uh, the bookworm. Otto Preminger played uh, Mr. Freeze. You had Alan Napier, like I said, was playing the original Alfred. You had, uh, who else? You had uh, Frank Gorsuch played the Riddler. You had uh, Cesar Romero played the Joker. You had everybody out there. The women, that was, I think that was the only women that were like villains. Now, but, uh, George, you've been so, um, so enlightening. But you've okay. yet, you nor anyone else has told us who Jeeves Man Friday the butler was. Alan Napier. That's mm. Alfred. His name is Alfred, not Gene. No, Jeeves. Jeeves. Oh, know. Jeeves. Jeeves. Right, right. Yeah, like, that's all the millionaires called their butlers. Right. Yeah, right. but that's the guy with the glasses, the old man with the white hair that took care of the house. Yes. Wayne's, uh, yeah, that's Alan Napier. Ah. Okay. N A P I E R. Wow. Alan Napier. You nailed it all. Oh yeah. I used to watch that stuff. All yeah, right, was, but really. but now did you hear that contrarian, that old codger Bernie from Staten Island, totally disparaged the T V series? Yeah, yeah, that's no, come on. That, that was like you said, it was campy. You know, all these actors and actresses, they did this show to get out there, like amazing. You know, you had like the um the other, you know, all the other actors, you have to make these dumb movies out there. They had, by guessing, their contracts. But you had all the, like in the Monsters, you know? You had the lady, what's her name, Yvonne uh, Carlo. Yvonne De Carlo, right? She was beautiful, but when she wore all that makeup. You had Al Lewis playing the, um, the Monsters. I don't want to get into the other sitcoms, but the other things. But, you know, but Batman I used to watch all the time. Really? That's but right. Grandpa Grandpa Al Lewis at an yeah. Italian restaurant in Greenwich yeah. Village hated, hated my guts because he loved the Gottis and Gambinos. Oh. Best, best, best friends of Frank Morano, who will be on the other side of midnight starting <laughs> at uh, 1. Best yeah. friends, best friends, uh, Grandpa well, Al Lewis. restaurants right on the other side of West 4th Street, West 3rd Street maybe. And you, yeah, know, you know, he had a radio program. Did you know that? Not on oh, yeah, like, yeah. not on WOR or WABC no, 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 yeah. or WMCA. He's on WBAI. Really? Curtis, do you know where he was from? No. Transylvania. Right. You know. Really? In no, fact, isn't that, thing, but... isn't that near the Ukraine, Hungary, right? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Right on there, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I grew up with all that stuff. Come on, I'm dating myself. But no, I, mean, no, no, I, I know, but I got so, I got nauseous from Bernie in Staten Island. You know, he was just this. Oh, come on. Well, it come reminded on. me of Frank Morano. You know, he's like a contrarian. <laughs> just like, I guess it's it, it's in the water system there in Staten Island. You know, they, they always feel yeah, insecure. So. They feel insecure because it's the forgotten island. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Okay. I appreciate it. George, stay on the line because sure. we're going to send you a Curtis Lee will booby prize. Don't ask, don't tell because I'm so cheap. I throw nickels around like manhole covers. It'll be my um, my belly button lint, hermetically sealed in an envelope, sent to you COD cash on delivery. And think of it this way. On any given day, you know the kind of life I lead. My enemies could whack me and I could be finally room temperature. Do you know how much that belly button lint would be worth? Now, it won't be worth the $2.2 million that recently Southpiece auctioned off Batman 1, the comic book, for and got a buyer. 
Well, you might get some scatto. So, you know, take that belly button land of mine, of which I have a lot, and put it in an urn. You never know. You never know. Let's go to Matt in Flushing. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Matt. Yes, Curtis, uh, the bad girl was Yvonne Craig. Yvonne Craig. Mm-hmm. Hot to trot, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you remember when you were a guy with high levels of testosterone crashing through your cranium, right, Matt? Oh, yeah. And you said, man, I'd love to take her to the high school dance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, guys would fantasize. Over the cat woman and the cat girls. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. See, mm-hmm. see, that was better. We had, this is what we had. We went to the barbershop. We didn't need a haircut. You know, we just read the Playboy magazines that they put out. Then we ordered National Geographic, and your mother was very proud. She, oh, wow, National Geographic, because it had the pictures of the nude women from Polynesia and Tahiti. And then naturally okay. we had Batman every day with these drop dead gorgeous women like Eartha Kitt. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. You see, Matt. You see, we, we didn't have what the young people now have. They have like triple X rated porn everywhere. It's sort of they've become asexual because of that. They they've lost their testosterone. That's why they sell so much of the Viagra, Cialis, Levitra, you know, these hipsters and millennials, they're asexual. You see how they dress. Uh, mm-hmm. Our motors were running at a young age. Our motor, hey, It was like it was the Indianapolis 500 for us each and every day. Gentlemen, uh, engines running. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Matt. You appreciate that. Our number is one 800 848 9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Zach calling from South Plainfield, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Zach. Uh, I just wanted to mention that the Joker was on my dad's ship during World War II, and he was a landing craft officer, and he raised the morale of everybody around him. Like he's, um, you know, a war hero, basically. And, and who was that again, Zach? Cesar Romero. Oh, I thought you were talking about Jack Nicholson in the movie. No, no, no. Cesar Romero. Uh, and uh, every time he'd walk by in the sixth, my dad would walk by the TV and he'd see him on TV. He'd always stop and smile. You know, everybody liked him on the ship. He was a regular guy. And he had an important job, which was, you know, uh, taking Marines to the beach. Oh, very important. And a lot of them got sunk in those troop carriers. A lot of them got sunk. Right, right. And, you know, my dad came away from it um, wondering whatever happened to a lot of the guys you'd see on the ship, you know, because you would never know. That's true. No, I, I appreciate you pre- preserved the memory, you know, those memories. A lot of people don't. You know, it's out of sight, out of mind. I appreciate it. And also a tribute to uh, Cesar Romero. Oh, very much so. He was, um, uh, you know, my dad didn't know. I mean, there were well over a thousand people on the ship. And, um, but, you know, they knew each other to see each other. And, um, he was just a guy that everybody liked and, uh, had an important job. I do appreciate that, Zach. And in fact, now a little New Jersey trivia, because too often we're New York centric. We forget that per capita, per person, more people listen to WABC from New Jersey. 
than anywhere else in the tri-state area. It's true. It goes way back to the origin of uh, talk radio when we were no longer flipping stacks of wax with Cousin Brucey and Harry Harrison and Oscar Anderson, Herb Oscar Anderson, and we went talk. It took a little bit of time because the first talk radio here at WABC was horrible. It was all this syndicated nonsense from KGO in San Francisco. Uh, KABC in Los Angeles, a double. Uh. It had none of that New York flavor. It was, it was really, it was sinking fast. And I've told our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, owner of Red Apple Media, our parent uh, company uh, with the number one news talk station in the nation, WABC, and growing fast, buying up radio stations all across America. We are, have our own TV station now, WABCradio.tv. So many, so many platforms of getting information and entertainment to you that I, I've said to him, get rid of all your syndicated programming. Get rid of it. I've said that, right? These are some of my friends. Get rid of all the syndicated programming. Go live and local. Live and local because when a guy came to WABC back then and they were doing so badly, so bad, like a guy Owens from KGO, boring. Michael Jackson, I'm not talking about the pedophile on a pedestal, Michael Jackson, you know, from Geary, Indiana, the Jackson 5. I'm talking Michael Jackson from South Africa, right? He's doing the program from KABC, boring. And then, resurrected. It's almost like Lazarus from the dead where he had been the number one news talk host in the tri-state area at the old WMCA, Bob Grant, exiled to Philadelphia, where he was number one. And then all of a sudden, somebody at WABC got smart. They were on Avenue of the Americans. They had nothing to listen to, nothing. And they call up, I think it was WWDB or something like that. I forget the acronym. And they said, King of Talk Radio, it's time to come back. Like Napoleon, you know, from the island of Elba, except it was Philadelphia at that time. Oh, yeah, and the, Frank Rizzo was the mayor there. He was like a Bob Grant type who was mayor. Oh, but he said, no, I got to come back. And then he came back to drive time in the afternoon, WABC, and that was it. We rocketed right up to the top. Four hours, three in the afternoon to seven. And the guy got the highest ratings in the afternoon ever. And those people who have done well in talk radio did well because they listened to Bob Grant. Bill O'Reilly will tell you, yeah, I listened to Bob Grant. Sean Hannity, the rock-ribbed all-American conservative voice of reason from Franklin Square, Long Island, will tell you, I listened to Bob Grant. Curtis Lewa, no doubt, he was my mentor. He got me into talk radio. Nobody at WABC, the suits mockers, would have allowed me on the air. He did it. Everybody listened. Mark Levin will tell you he listened in Pennsylvania to Bob Grant. That's when all of a sudden we surged. He was local. He was never nationally syndicated. I don't like the syndication, to be honest with you, even though there's some good programs. I don't like it. I love the live and local. Let's go back to the phones. This being the premiere of, what is this, uh, Batman, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, I don't know. It's 
up there, the Trendoids and Freakasoids, were having their moose, you know, over there at Lincoln Center, yes. They were having their sturgeon, they were having their caviar and pool of champagne. Charging 30 bucks for a ticket to see the new Batman. What a ripoff. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Pete. Calling from Staten Island, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pete. Hi, Curtis. How about Holly Barry as Catwoman? Mm. Mm. Hail Mary, right? Hail Mary, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. she, she is drop-dead gorgeous. Yes, she is. But let me tell you something. Her choices of men in her life, they are hot messes. Do you know you know all the men she's been with in her life who turned out to be just hot messes? Well, sometimes women and men make bad choices. That's why there's erases on pencils. As long as there's no kids involved, it's a clear shot. Yeah, but when you're making that kind of money, like Hail Mary and the rest of them, there's never an easy separation because it's all about the money then. It's got to be prenups. But who knows? Hey, look, bad things hey, happen. Pete, let me ask you a question. You're out in Staten Island. You heard that guy Bernie calling. That that contrarian, that curmudgeon who was saying, oh, the old Batman TV series was horrible. He said it was garbage, garbage. Did you hear that, Pete? Hey, look, in Staten Island, you know, you got a lot of cherries with a lot of pits. So that's one of the pits. What are you going to do? Hey, were you at Forest Avenue for the parade? No, not today. It wasn't at Forest Avenue. I uh, had a lot of radio to do today. Remember, no, I was playing. I, I know that. I was playing. I, know that. I was playing psychiatrist to Chris Hahn. <laughs> yeah, well, with the football season over, I need a psychiatrist. My my Castro convertible. You know, I just sitting in it with nothing to watch. I watch a little bit of basketball, but that's not. Cutting it, you know. Pete, so, Pete I may yeah, have right. I may have an assignment for you because you're right by Jersey Street. Oh yeah, that's rough, <laughs> boy. That's rough. That's uh, pretty th- quiet up here lately. Pretty I know, quiet. I know, but there's a, a guy who calls. You may have heard him from time to time. The other side of midnight uh, that I host uh, early Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings. A guy named Junior with his dog Rusty. Yes. Yes. Well, he's more over by where Frank uh, lives, Morano. Yeah, he calls up. He's walking his dog, Rusty. And he's telling me all about Frank Morano, you know, leaving dirty pampers out from Carmine in the yard. You know, it's like I'm saying to myself, man, what is your drool? Wow. Well, I saw Frank with Carmine in the uh, grocery store. And Carmine was pushing the cart, and Frank was sitting in it. So they were grabbing all the Entenmann cakes, you know. So I went over. I said, could I have a cake? You know, could I just have one? My wife just desiring it, you know. And Carmine, he looked over at me, and he says, hey, mind your own business. He says, you know, snitches get stitches. So I guess he's been listening to the show, and he's listening to his godfather, you, you know, because he's, he's meant it. He's got it. You know, sharp tongue. Good kid. Good kid. And he's got a lot of strength to push that carriage, you know? That, and remember, they go to Top Tomato, the Gambino joint. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, Frank. He's lo- look. One thing you got to say about Frank, he's loyal to the Gambinos. He even shops at Top Tomato. He is not the one in Jersey, the one in Staten Island. Yeah, well, you know, you were talking before with the chin, you know, Vinny the chin giganti. You know, back in the day, they nobody called him the chin. They used to call him that guy because he got the nickname. He had a glass draw, draw you know, because my father used to box with him. He was in that circle, Baby Saban and a couple of guys that they were prize fighters. They all boxed for Tommy Bryan, which was Tommy Eberly. He was the guy that succeeded uh, uh, Costello and then uh, to Chin, you know. Yeah, well, you know, it was interesting, uh, Pete, uh, yesterday while I was on with uh, Anthony Weiner. Michael Mbadicic, Rudy Giuliani, who was out at the St. Patrick's Day Parade in the Rockaways, was listening, and somehow, because I was digressing, and, you know, I have attention uh, deficit disorder, I was talking about Jewish boxers when they were the toughest. You know, Barney Ross, I think it was a middleweight, and then uh, Max Bear, the heavyweight, took on Max Schmeling, the Nazi. And then he uh, somehow he faxed in... (laughs) Rudy, another slapsy something. You see, even Rudy Giuliani's listening intently. It's what we all need to do. Because you never know what direction I may be going in. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. And paid for by MaxPace Marketing. Attention. If you've had hernia surgery and have experienced complications such as chronic pain, infection, wound reopening, mesh migration, bowel obstruction, need revision surgery, or other complications, you may be entitled to significant cash compensation. Hernia repair surgery is common and requires a mesh product to be implanted inside your body. In May of 2016, the manufacturer of a popular hernia mesh product issued a mandatory global recall due to product defects. If you've had hernia surgery and have experienced complications, you may be entitled to significant cash compensation. Call the Hernia Mesh Helpline now at 800-797-0539. Our experienced attorneys will fight to get you the compensation you deserve. You pay nothing unless we get a recovery in your favor. Time is limited to file a claim, so call the Hernia Mesh Helpline now, 800-797-0539. Operators are standing by 24-7. Call 800-797-0539. That's 800-797-0539. It's Ramsey Mazda's Sundays with Sinatra. With your host, Joe Piscopo. This Sunday night, starting at 6. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. It's witchcraft. Yet I'd get a It's Ramsey Mazda's Sundays with Sinatra. This Sunday night starting at 6. With me, Joe Piscopo. On Oh, spring's around the corner. They're telling us we can take the masks off. You're going to jump out of your house, and then all of a sudden, you're going to try to take on a little too much, and those aches and pains are going to resurface that may have haunted you years ago. Do not. 
pop those pain-killing pills. Think Trinity Rehab. They've got the EPAT machine. It's FDA-approved. What it does is use non-surgical acoustic pressure wave technology to break up your scar tissue. It enhances healing, gets rid of pain el rapido. In just three five-minute sessions, you can be virtually pain-free, and you're not popping any pain-killing pills. They're all over New Jersey. Clifton, Paramus, Wayne, Short Hills, Emerson, East Windsor, Shrewsbury Wall, Woodbridge, and two brand new locations in Hackensack and Wyckoff. Call Trinity Rehab today at 800-518-0977. 800-518-0977. Or go to trinity-rehab.com. That's trinity-rehab.com. Talk Radio 77 WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Oh, no, saying ain't so. Saying ain't so. You know, coming up uh, in the 12 midnight hour, the most requested of the many hours, the 20 hours that I do on the weekends is the animal welfare hour. And uh, my wife, Nancy, will be talking about the squirrel census. I wonder if that includes Rocket J Squirrel and Bullwinkle, right? Because Moose are under siege in Maine. But do you know what they've done as a result of Vladimir Putin invading the Ukraine? They've taken the old Rocky J. Squirrel Bullwinkle cartoon series that was about the Cold War, us versus the Ruskies, and they've removed on the cutting room floor Boris and Natasha. They just made that decision. There is no more Boris and Natasha with Rocket J. Squirrel and Bullwinkle. Because they don't want any characters to be of Russian origin and remind people of the Cold War. When Boris... Boy, that is a complete violation of everything about America. Boris and Natasha, boy, some guys really had the hearts to trot for Natasha, right? She was like the Mata Hari of the Cold War era. Again, us guys, we got our rise very early in life watching cartoons. 1-800-848-9222. If you go to the Cartoon Channel, you will see Rocket J. Squirrel and Bullwinkle are still on. But every mention, every scene involving Boris... And Natasha has been removed. Because somehow that may conjure up Americans supporting Vladimir Putin against Zelensky. Is that crazy or what? Wow, that's gotten me mad. Let's go to uh, Steve calling from Central Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hey, Curtis. All right, Batman, we'll, we'll keep it light tonight. I think one of your questions was, which was the best movie or my favorite movie or movies, right? You said that? Yes, yes. Okay, the first two with Michael Keaton, he played a great. I, I like that strong, silent type. 
That and by the way, the villains were excellent too. Jack Nicholson as Joker, um, Danny DeVito as Penguin, Michelle Pfeiffer as the Catwoman. Those were the best two. And by the way, I never liked any of those actors and actresses in anything but those first two. All the other Batman movies that came after that, I didn't care for. Now, isn't it interesting though, Steve, that as you mentioned, if I remember correctly, uh, Batman Five and Batman Six. That's that's how I remember them. Uh, with uh, Michael Keaton, is Danny DeVito was the penguin in the first one, Jersey Shore, Asbury Park. And then, as you mentioned, in the second uh, Keaton starring uh, as Batman, the Joker was Jack Nicholson, also from the Jersey Shore. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> like, that's like, how could... If you try to do that a million times, it would end up. But, hey, Jack Nicholson was great as the Joker. Great. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Can I ask you a couple questions about the TV series? Oh, of course, of course. Okay. Remember, in the TV series, Batman and Robin were frequently climbing up a building. Remember with the rope? And what would happen? Go ahead. What, what, What would happen each time they were climbing up the side of a building? Okay, I'm thinking they weren't they weren't repelling. They were climbing up the side of the building. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I'm starting to age. I'm going to be 68 on March 26. You better help me with this. A celebrity of the day, Paul Lynn comes to mind, would open up the window, recall, and just start having a casual chat with Batman and Robin. Recall that? And they'd say, hey, it's Paul Lynn. You know, so I, I think the fellow before. Now, now, let me ask you a question. Paul Lynn, who is like famous on Hollywood Squares, along Correct. with Wally Cox. We'll get into Wally Cox momentarily. Correct. But Correct. Paul Lynn was flamboyant. When yes. you couldn't be flamboyant, <laughs> was yes. was Paul Lynn gay? Um, didn't didn't it come out afterwards that he was? I heard. I don't know. I don't know. He act. Now, you know, I'm figuring maybe he acted that way where he was. Uh, uh, he was uh, like three snaps up. And you're yeah. right. And then I mean, remember, he was on Hollywood Squares. And then Wally Cox, who also, he looked like uh, the first version of Pee Wee Herman, Wally Cox. Right, right. Let me ask you a second question. Ready? Are you ready for the second question? Yes, I'm ready for the second question. Okay, now you, you're eight years older than me, all right? Now, so you were, I always wondered, there seemed to be no desire by Commissioner Gordon, Chief O'Hara, who spoke to Bruce Wayne and, and Dick Grayson as well as Batman and Robin. You're trying to tell me they couldn't figure out that, that, hey, Bruce Wayne sounds like Batman, Dick Grayson sounds like Robin, and the villains never cared about find, tearing off their mess. Didn't that ever make you wonder when you were watching the series, Curtis? Go ahead. Yeah, now, now that you mention it, you're right. But it was so good. I was waiting for the boom, bang, zam, powie. That's what I was waiting for. Yes, yes. Now, let me ask you a question. Whatever happened to Robin? Because in in almost all these movies that we were talking about, it's like Robin is a person of no consequence. Well, didn't uh, again? You, I didn't realize um, Michael Keaton came back for, for a couple of Batman movies. I think you said because I must have missed that. No, no, but it was uh, the two that I know is the ones you referred to: Batman Returns, 
which I call yeah, number the, five, the, and the uh, then number six, the one that followed. The, the one that followed was with Jack Nicholson as the Joker, and the one that a lot of people like, Batman Returns, was Michael Keaton and Danny DeVito as the Penguin with Christopher Walken, the crazy guy from Astoria, Queens. Correct, correct, correct. But but as I wasn't it Batman three or four where the the movie where they finally brought in Robin, which I thought was ridiculous. Why did they wait so long? You know. Look, I got to ask the question that nobody asks: Was Adam West, aka Bruce Wayne, a pedophile? <laughs> I never heard that, Kurt. I, I mean, don't don't you think it was a little strange that this uh, waspy guy, this banker, this uh, investor extraordinaire, you know, a millionaire back then, was maybe being protected by the butler, Alfred Pennysworth? Huh? You think maybe? I know what you're alluding to. Who has a ward? Dick, I, I know what you're saying, right? And how old was Dick? I, I know. I know where you're going from. Some people have speculated, yeah, what was that all about? His war, Dick Grayson, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. But no, 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 you are, you are so spot on, Steve. So generally, Steve gets very political, and I understand that's predominantly what we do here. But if you notice, we haven't mentioned the Ukraine once. We need a little break. I, I understand. Many of you, what do you mean break? It's like 12 days. Yeah, I get it. And it ain't going away. <laughs> Unfortunately, it ain't going away. Let's go to Mike in New Rochelle. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Good morning, Curtis. I got the answer to your question about the guys that moved from New York to Arizona. Uh, Joe Bonanno, Sammy the Bull. Uh, you got both. Now, Joe Bonanno, remember, we were told the old lore of the mob was you never wrote a book about the mob or you get whacked, right? Right. And you couldn't leave the mob except... Uh, if you were being carried by six to your grave. Remember? That's right. Yet, he not only left, he surfaced in Tucson, Arizona. He's on trial there by the federal government. I think uh, Rudy Giuliani, as U.S. Attorney, Southern District, got involved in the end. But uh, defended by, of all people, William Kunstler. He writes a book, and then he lives the rest of his life there in Tucson, and nobody tried to put a hit on him. It's unbelievable. I wouldn't read the book either because I figured it was just a bunch of his own propaganda. So I never bothered to pick it up. But I heard it was, you know, mixed. mixed. Uh... And so then Sammy the Bull Gravano, who now fights everybody else uh, with dueling podcasts. There's Johnny A. Light, there's Michael Francisi. They all battle one another with their podcasts. I guess it's a lot safer than shooting one another. Absolutely. But remember, he's in the witness protection uh, program after he gets cosmetic uh, surgery. Uh, he's installing pools in North Phoenix while his wife is running their restaurant. He's sitting at home and he's saying, God, I'm killing myself here, right? And then his son and daughter, they come from the club. And they say, he goes, well, what's that stuff? Molly. You know, you take it when you go to the club. You dance. Molly. And who's moving Molly in the clubs? And he said, well, you know, the local people. So, oh, no, no, we're moving the Molly in the clubs. These these cherubs out here. Are you and then he takes over the Molly trafficking, ends up doing another bid in federal prison, and now he's out, and it looks like, oh, my God, if he gets one more facelift, Sammy the Bull Gravano's face will snap like an old rubber band. 
And he, he's smoking his cigars, not even a De Nobles cigar. I don't know what that cigar is that he's smoking. I mean, I would say double Udiscrazia. And they're trying to revive him and resurrect him when we all know he's a rat. <laughs> I got one more for you. Of course. Last night, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't figure out where James Brown was buried. I'll tell you where he is. He's under a pile of laundry in Al Sharpton's basement. <laughs> James Brown, godfather of soul, soul brother number one, king of 125th Street, actually mentored Al Slim Shady Sharpton when he'd go on tour. He'd bring out the boy Reverend uh, from Brownsville, never ran, never will, the Stone Avenue Projects. He would come out and he would actually give you a little religion. Uh, at the time, Al Slim Shady Sharpton. But nobody ever answered that question of where is the king? <sighs> James Brown, godfather of soul, soul brother number Where is he buried? He was buried first in front of his daughter's house in South Carolina, in in the front yard. And then all of a sudden, his cos- cosophagus, is that a word, uh, was missing. And nobody has found it since. And we've let it go on and on and on. I need to know where James Brown, Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother Number One's last resting place is. Over the course of human history, human history, there's been Noah's Ark, Savior of Mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, here's Curtis Lewa. And there'll be no pedicures or manicures, that's for sure. We're getting down in the nitty-gritty. This is the most listened to of the 20 hours of broadcasting that I do over the weekends at ABC, making ABC the acronym Always Broadcasting Curtis, but it is the most requested hour. It is the most listened to hour. It is the highest rated hour. And it airs right before the return of Frank Morano, the week uh, day edition of The Other Side of Midnight, starting at 1. And uh, I am joined uh, by my wife, Nancy, animal rescuer extraordinaire, animal welfare activist. Thanks for jumping on board again, Nancy. Thank you for having me on again, Curtis. First off, um, I feel like I want to impale myself uh, with this uh, Sharpie here. I just saw the news. I don't know if uh, you were able to see it. I know you're very good at uh, looking at the news, uh, Nancy. Mm-hmm. But a cartoon series that I grew up with in the Cold War before you were even birthed, uh, Rocket J. Squirrel and Bullwinkle, which was about the Cold War between us and the old Soviet Union, represented by Boris and Natasha. Because uh, they've eliminated RT and all kinds of Russian broadcasting uh, that they feel might give uh, a favorable view of Vladimir Putin's invasion, they've decided to remove the characters of Boris and Natasha, who were Soviet agents. So all you see now is Rocket J. Squirrel and Bullwinkle. Uh, Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure anyone watching that... (laughs) Of their age, they wouldn't um, understand the 
implications. And 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 actually, it's funny. I I didn't grow up watching the cartoon, but I do remember as a kid, there was a like a at home sort of a you know cardboard game I had where it actually had those characters. So I didn't. I I had no idea there was any implications in terms of their you know, their country of origin. I just thought they were cute animals, actually. Well, I hope the audience, and you forgive me because I am uh, impaired as a result. I've been traumatized (laughs) by that news. It just came out like 15 minutes ago. Uh, And it leads us into our first animal welfare issue this week, which is a squirrel census. Ironically, we were talking about Rocket J Squirrel and Bullwinkle the Moose versus uh, the no longer existent Boris and Natasha. They've been removed from the script. But what can you tell us about a squirrel census? So there is this group of, you know, like a, a different individuals. They join together. And in New York City, it's been something for like a few years now. So I, I guess it's trying to, you know, give, uh, you know, at least some sort of notoriety and sort of acknowledgement to the urban um, animals, because, I mean, let's face it, most people who don't live in New York City, they have no ideas, like, oh, if you walk down the street, like, you know, people probably don't know, oh, pigeons, they don't know squirrels, so there's a group that has been trying to uh, create a census, like, uh, so to speak, for the squirrels, and they've only been active for, like, a few years now. But, you know, they're, they're, I think the awesome thing about it is they're getting people involved and, you know, people can, you know, so uh, they're focusing on uh, New York City parks in particular. So they're trying to uh, get the census for all the different, um, you know, parks that, that have like squirrel populations. So, I mean, again, and, and again, what, what's great about this, effort in general, I think, is that obviously not only getting people involved, but what they're really acknowledging and recognizing is that the way that animals who live in close proximity to people are in many ways evolving as a result of being around people. So, you know, you can um, extrapolate this on so many different you know, places throughout the world where in many ways there's like urbanization, there's like they're like tearing down the natural environment. All of a sudden people are face to face with animals that otherwise had previously been in a very, you know, insular sort of environment. And now we're dealing with them. And it it seems like the, the onus is on you know, uh, them, oh, well, you know, we're dealing with them, oh, they're annoyances, they're this, it's like, but the reality is we're all coexisting at this point. So Well, well, you you know what happens is uh, people, the moment they hear squirrels or raccoons, they say, wait, they do home invasions, they they break into our homes, they get within the the walls or the ceilings. Well, they they actually have, so so this particular, um, like the, the squirrel census, it has like a, a number you can call. I just wanted to throw it out there in case anyone wants to call it. It's like 833-NYC-SQRL. But when I called it, and again, it has a lot of good information, but the thing that kind of disturbed me is like the first notification was telling people, 
oh, if you're calling this because you're trying to get rid of squirrels, that's the wrong number. And, you know, like, you know, you know, hang up and then call, uh, you know, sort of a pest control. And I'm like, I, I was kind of disturbed that, the, that they would actually direct people to that because it sounds like they really love squirrels. It's like, no, don't call pest control. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was kind of odd. Well, well, on that note of doing a census involving squirrels, uh, this reminds me also when I was a kid, long before you were birthed, there was a Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom and in the Kalahari Desert, in order to do a census of an animal type, uh, they would approach the animal and they would tag the animal and then they would follow the animal and it would lead them to the other members of the herd so they could keep count on the number of that species. Uh, did they tag the squirrels? I mean, how do they know the squirrel they're counting today isn't the squirrel that was being counted yesterday? Because they're yeah, always jumping yeah, all so over the, the place. The, the 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 um, actual census taking it, obviously um, I'm sure in many ways it's like in its infancy so they can't quite figure out whether or not they're um, tagging the same ones but I mean and again and, and their their focus is strictly on the New York City parks right so they're not just going throughout the whole city but obviously the idea is like you know you want to get people involved and on board so they've tagged um like 433 squirrels in uh the parks that they're monitoring so basically all the five boroughs like the new york city parks but throughout the five boroughs and again like they're like related to uh rodents like rats and mice now in new york city supposedly and i don't even know what kind of census is going on but they said there's two million rats in new york city so it sounds like, I mean, if these guys are all related, there's probably a lot more squirrels, or at least the squirrels are better at hiding because they haven't been tagged. <laughs> but if they're all related, like, I think, um, you know, maybe that, that's kind of what it is. It's like, you know, it, they're really good at hiding because, I mean, and again, that's part of what this study was showing, that, you know, the way that animals are adapting going forward, when they are in close, uh, you know, proximity to people, even though they may have otherwise been animals that would run and hide, they're, you know, they've actually evolved to be friendly with people because that's what the situation is. So I, I think that's that's really the, the import of this sort of a census, that animals are adapting and evolving to be you know, like your neighbors and your friends, so the same people who have bears and stuff like that. There's there's breaking news here. I'm sorry, Nancy. Breaking news, as our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, likes to say at his 5 o'clock roundtable, and Lydia says breaking news, that the removal of Boris Badenov, better known as Boris the spy, and Natasha, has now created an international incident where the Soviet ambassador to the United Nations wants an explanation of how these two Russian figures of the old Soviet Union could be removed from the Rocket J. Squirrel Bullwinkle cartoon series about the Cold War, actually removed, edited out. He, he, he actually, he's got a paragraph here that says, I thought America was the land of free speech, free expression, with an opportunity to see all points of view. And now you remove Boris Badenov and Natasha? 
I mean, there's there's nothing to be gained by rewriting history. If uh, people want to make a claim that, oh, we should go in a different direction, okay, that's a different argument, but to rewrite what's occurred in the past. Like, I, I, that makes no sense. God, God. And, I mean, I mean, and plus, they're like beloved animals. I mean, like it's, it's, it's making me nauseous here. It's making <laughs> me nauseous. So I, I want to remo- uh, remove ourselves to a, a, a very serious issue. For all animal lovers out there, whether the animals live outdoors or live indoors, uh, you need good veterinarians. And apparently there is a wide veterinarian shortage. Yeah, yeah, correct. So the amount of uh, – at this point, the prediction is uh, based on the amount of animal um, owners in the United States and the veterinarians uh, current – so by 2030, it's like there's a 30, 30 – like a 33% rather um, lack of veterinarians. Now, now, in terms of veterinarian care – now again, this is the biggest expense for most people who are pet owners. So, you know, I think the same way like with people, you know, you have your health care coverage. I'm surprised at this point that a lot of the health care companies haven't come along to include pets. Because again, right, if you if you have health care coverage, it's like, oh, if you're covering a spouse, you're covering X amount of kids, like there's just like an additional cost, but no health care for people have I seen where they include pets, where you can do that as an ancillary type of thing. And when when also you think about the amount of doctors who go abroad to get an education because it's just such a, a, a tough field to get into, like the medical field, I, I'm so surprised that, you know, the veterinarian field hasn't been, you know, uh, really prioritize as much as it should be because so many people have pets. So now they're talking about a shortage of veterinarians. And also, I know right now, um, two people that, um, you know, who I know personally, who are dealing with, um, uh, you know, pet health issues, where they have to bring them to the vet. And they're being told that the, you know, necessary things they have to do range from like 2500 to like $8,000. Like once it gets to that, I mean, these are the reasons why people relinquish pets because they can't afford it. But, you know, if you have health care coverage, these things would be, you know, sort of, you know, it wouldn't be that sort of amount. So I think th- this is really an argument for uh, putting, you know, pets under, you know, the same exact sort of health care coverage that you have when you're paying these premiums ultimately because this is the reason why people would be able to get their pets to vets before they have these issues where it's like go-to time and and it's just like life or death decisions. Like I think that's a bad place to put people in and I think this is something that can totally be, you know, acknowledged in in the right way, like if they actually just start, you know, and again, plus it it creates an industry. You think about all these industries that are booming. So many people have pets. Well, why is it so hard to, you know, have your pets visit a vet? It's like usually it's because it costs like hundreds of dollars and people don't have that. So if you start making that easier, you start really opening up an industry that makes a lot of sense and really is so like, you know, it makes a lot of sense for society in general.
All right, and now this uh, is very pertinent. Uh, we had Pete call up earlier from Staten Island. He lives over by Jersey Street. He asked me if I had been at the St. Patrick's Day Parade along Forest Avenue. Uh, there obviously were a lot of people there to view the parade, but what does exist on Forest Avenue now and in large parts of Staten Island are these wild turkeys. They go up and down Forest Avenue, Sea View, Highland Boulevard. They're out uh, near the uh, uh, Father Capadonna Boulevard by uh, the, uh, the Psychiatric Institute there, the Staten Island Psychiatric uh, Facility. They're everywhere, and I see that a wild turkey was beaten to death by a member of the United States Postal Service? Yeah, so th- this story occurred in California. Uh, I think I think it was Sac- I think it was Sacramento. And ap- apparently wild turkeys are you know part of the environment there. So it's not an a, an unusual thing that some of these mail carriers happened to encounter wild turkeys and you know they went through the like the list of what some of these people do when maybe they're like sort of uh, approached or attacked by these wild turkeys like some of them have resorted to like pepper spray and you know kicking like so again like so that's that's one thing but in this particular instance the the story was this uh postal worker felt so threatened by this wild turkey that he went back to his vehicle to get a stick or a pole, something like that, to beat it. Now, just from a legal perspective, like as an attorney, I can say he already sounds like he's in the wrong because once you realize, okay, you can resort back to safety, go to your vehicle, like he could have just stayed in the vehicle and not done this, so I think his defense is going to be pretty weak. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I'm pretty sure that the wild turkey won't have, you know, any sort of uh, validation, sadly, for its its death. I mean, plus you think about it. I mean, we don't even know the story about the wild turkey. It might have had a family. It might have been going back to feed its little, you know, children. It might have had a spouse who was protecting, like, so... Sadly, the turkey won't have any validation for what's going on. But again, this idea that, oh, if you're uh, delivering mail where wildlife is, I mean, again, but this is part of the thing. You know, you're in the environment. You know, I mean, if you happen to be in the same place as them, you have to just respond accordingly. I'm not sure. Like, maybe they have to start putting body cams on the, the mail carriers just so we can because, again, like just to say, oh, he was aggressive. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to carry the day. Well, let me, let me ask you if you, hypothetically, uh, since you are a lawyer, uh, Esquire is attached to your name of uh, Nancy Sliwa. Uh, but let's assume, hypothetically, you were the district attorney for Sacramento County in Northern California. Would you prosecute this mailman who beat to death a wild turkey? Yes. I, I would. Uh, first of all, I would say yes. And I think he he probably is the poster child for the statement uh, going postal because that's really crazy, absurd behavior. He was able to go back to his vehicle, which means he could have just shielded himself for public safety. Like, he, he was fine. There was no issue. Like, he actually came back out with a weapon to attack this turkey. He could have just kept on driving. 
So I think you're dealing with someone who's a little unhinged. And, yeah, I, I don't take that defense of, of, of what this person said. But, again, like when you talk about someone who's delivering mail to houses, you know, up and down the road every single day, you might not want that person dealing with the public at large if they can't contain themselves. But as a, uh, again, hypothetically, you were the district attorney for Sacramento County, you would go uh, before the court and you would ask for how much time for this mail carrier who uh, uh, the evidence uh, indicates beat a wild turkey to death while he was on his route. Well, I mean, at a minimum, I mean, I would just, I mean, like I said, unfortunately, it's like I would just say at a minimum, he shouldn't be doing that job because anyone who's interacting with the public at large and can't contain themselves is a threat to the public. So I would just kind of say that. And I think that's probably the worst punishment this person can get, that they don't have employment going forward. Um, you know, even more so than any sort of time they do because, you know, I think just taking them out of the, the mix because, let's face it, they shouldn't be dealing with the public. Wow, you know, this uh, could almost be an episode on the old Cops series uh, on Fox. There was a no-knock warrant issued to get a puppy back who had been puppy-napped? Yeah, so there was um uh, people who were... Uh, like breeding uh, pit bull puppies, so they were. And again, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, on board with uh, the the breeders in general. But you know the way that they sort of showcase them to the public and they they sell them to people. So what happened was uh, these uh, breeders were showcasing the pit bull puppies they had for sale, and they went to you know, the way that people, you know, like sort of interact and they say, okay, they want to see the puppies. So they brought them to this location and, you know, the the people, like the two people are interacting with them. Oh, I want to hold them. I, like, you know, asking the basic questions. But then all of a sudden the person who was holding the puppy uh, ran away and basically just like stole the puppy. And the person who was, uh, you know, speaking with the, the the breeder, so to speak, it's like uh, they actually said that the person had a gun and, you know, then they had actually pointed the gun at them. So m- more or less, like, I mean, again, if if you're viewing the, these animals as property, which sadly is like the, the the status they have at this point. So what they did was equivalent to like, uh, you know, like, uh, grand larceny because the amount of this the puppies for sale so and then what they did was so now this is uh the no-knock warrants right so they were trying to limit those in general obviously for extreme situations and they based a lot of this stuff on oh these people stole the puppy but i think more so because of the manner in which it happened which is like that you know, they were, I mean, I'm sure these people had this person not had a gun would have just like chased after and been like, oh, no, let me get my dog back. So, you know, now it's like this outrage, like, oh, how dare you do the no-knock warrant? Now, again, right, you you can make any argument you want to make on that stuff, but I think really the bigger element of it is, 
you have someone who basically committed this, like, I mean, think about it. It's like someone's coming to, uh, you know, do this sort of a meeting, and then they're threatened with a gun. And I think that re- was really the, the bigger element to it. So, uh, you know, the and when the they came there to do the, the raid, the no-knock warrant, they actually found the puppy, and then they found the gun, and this person wasn't, uh, supposed to have a gun. Now, this is in a state where you can. So that means either the person had like some like record or like they didn't really indicate why, but this is a place where otherwise you could have had a gun. So, I mean, this like outrage was about, oh, how dare they do no knock warrants? But the reality is, I mean, talk about a ridiculous situation. I mean, this person basically did, like did a hold up situation when these people were kind enough to come over and bring the puppy and they're trying to do a normal transaction. So, I mean, I'm all for that. And I mean, I wish they would do it more for other situations, like where animals are in need, like really prioritize that stuff. So, I mean, I'm, I'm all on board with that personally. And then finally, before we go to the phones, 1-800-848-9222 here at home, an off-duty correctional officer apparently killed his girlfriend's puppy. Uh, What were the circumstances? And again, hypothetically, if you were a district attorney, would you charge uh, the correctional officer with the crime of killing the puppy? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It, I mean, and again, so the details of the, the relationship, it's a little unclear, but what the facts are is that um you know like a month ago so he 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 was dating a woman and he broke into her apartment when she wasn't there uh, apparently after they had like separated and clearly injured the dog to the point where you know when the woman came home like the dog was in dire straits and she you know, tried to save, but the dog passed away. So, and actually looked this, uh, the the case history up on the uh, the legal site and stuff. So he's being charged with, you know, he, so it's already like uh, being pigeonholed as like domestic violence case. Uh, she has a, a restraining order against him. And the biggest charge is more of him breaking into the apartment like a a burglary, like criminal trespass. The lowest charge is the fact that this dog was assaulted and died. But, you know, again, hopefully, I mean, now, again, he's obviously out. Like, you know, they they didn't, um, you know, keep him in jail. But he happens to be a correctional officer at Rikers. So, I mean, in terms of just basic stuff, I mean, even in optics, it's like if this guy is in charge of anything on that sort of level where he's dealing with other people, that's probably, you know, and at this point they're saying, again, I I understand the concept, right? It's like you want to, you know, uh, innocent until, you know, like you don't want to really presume everything, but at the same time, they're kind of looking into it, the Department of Corrections, right? But I'm not sure what that means if they're – but at the same time, it's like, you know, 
there might be a reason to just kind of pull this person. Now, whether they have or not, I'm not sure. But, I mean, it's it's a kind of crazy story, and it's not uncommon, sadly. You know, people have these, like, uh, relationships that go south, and then, you know, they unfortunately react, and they don't really know how to respond accordingly, so they hurt animals, you know, innocently. It's like if someone's going to be potentially charged with that, like imagine if this person was, like, for example, a teacher, I don't think a school would be keeping them on board and say, oh, that's that's fine, we'll just wait to see how the how everything lands, that's fine. It's like I think that's a really big, you know, cue to say, we want to at least take this person out of the mix of being directly involved with people because even if they're accused of this, let's just, you know, wait to see what happens because you don't want to have that person involved in having to deal with people at this point because they might be the person you don't want to have there. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's that's a story. Well, let's go right to the phones. Uh, there are a whole bunch of callers waiting uh, to uh, speak with you on a whole wide variety of animal welfare issues. It's Nancy Sliwa fielding your calls. First up in the queue is Mike in Middle Village. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hello, Curtis. Hello, Nancy. Um, I have a question about cats and catnip. And I was around cats all my life. And I know every time I gave a cat catnip, you know, they get real jolly and they're loving it. Now, this cat I had, he was a tabby, he was about a year old, and I said, oh, let me try him on some catnip. So I gave this cat catnip, and he got mean. He was like something right out of a Stephen King novel. This cat was getting real low, and he's making that low growling make, and he's hissing, his eyes are glowing, his tail's like real thick. I mean, this cat started glowing like that in front of me. nails are out. I was just scared to move. I mean, you know, as soon as I moved, he started growling real mean and baring his teeth. I'm like, oh, my God, he's a mean, drunken cat. <laughs> what would make the cat get like that off a cannon? Because I've never seen that before. Yeah, so I definitely don't give um, my cats, I mean, like, like, periodically, I'll just throw out a toy for, like, a few minutes, and then I take it back, but... I definitely, uh, as a normal thing, I don't give the cats catnip because the thing with the catnip is it actually drives them pretty over the top, um, not only like engaged, but like um, territorial. So the thing is like, this is something that really um, gets into their system so much. So the reason why obviously people like the catnip stuff, like the cats get a little crazy and funky, but the reality is they start to get possessive over the toy or whatever it is that has a catnip. So once they start to get possessive, you know, they start defending it. Like So that would make sense as to why maybe the cat would be growling because they're concerned, like, oh, you're going to take it away. That's why I don't, I don't okay. make a point of having a catnip. <laughs> Because every other cat, though, I had never had that reaction. I mean, they, they were so nice and lovable. I can't, they were like you know, a jolly drunk. With this cat. <laughs> uh, never so again. They definitely get possessed of it. It's almost like they have, like, because, again, the thing about with cats, like, they're predators. So it's almost like it's like a, they just uh, got the kill. And they're, like, they don't want you to take it away from them. So it's like they do get very 
once they're so into it, yeah, they don't want to be dealing with anyone interacting. Like, they get very possessive, which accounts for that sort of behavior. Let's go to Robert calling all the way from Las Vegas. Your turn to be heard on the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC. Bobby. Hello. Uh, I wanted to know, first of all, how many cats do you have? Well, at this point, we have 10. How do you keep them clean? Uh, well, I mean, I mean, they're, they're clean on their own. Um, you know, as long Don't as they go. Yeah. What's that? Don't they have to go? Well, no, they're they're fine. I mean, they they clean themselves. They're they're good. I think Robert is listening to himself uh, on surround sound as it's bouncing off the wall. Well, no, yeah, but 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 to like sort of semi answer his question, cats are so super clean. So, for instance, it's like. You know, some people think they have to um, bathe cats or wash them. You don't have to do that, nor should you, because they constantly are cleaning themselves. They're so super over-the-top clean. So the only thing you have to do is make sure that their area is clean. So making sure the litter box is clean all the time. But, I mean, I mean, it's it's not like dogs. Like, dogs need to be bathed, things like that. Cats... It's actually a bad thing to try and, like, you know, wash them and bathe them. All. Like, they actually are really good at cleaning themselves, so they're good to go. Now, a flip side question of our first caller who said he gave his cat catnip, and for the first time the cat actually turned on him. How would you calm cats down? Forget the catnip, but oftentimes uh, cats get all worked up. They're chasing one another. They're bouncing off the walls. How do you try to calm them down when they're in a frenzy? Well, I mean, again, first of all, they have, like, only a certain amount of, like, attention span and, like, energy level. Because, I mean, cats, for the most part, they sleep a lot of the day. So once you get the uh, excess energy out of them, so, for instance, let's say they were, you know, bouncing off the wall because you gave them a toy with catnip. And it's like, you know, I, I have, like, a feathers on this, like, with the cats, like, you know, playing around with them. Once they get tired, they just fall asleep. Like, they surprisingly don't have, you know, unbelievable amounts of energy. So you just tire them out pretty quick, and then they're ready to go to sleep. So, I mean, and cats, like, for kittens, you know, they have more activity. But adult cats, it's like they literally sleep like a you know, 18 hours a day. So you really have a small window of needing to entertain them, so to speak. Let's go to Giuseppe. Uh, Joey calling from Milford, Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Yeah, hi, listen, great show, guys, as always. I had a little bit of a question regarding humane uh, approaches to dealing with, say, rodent issues, and I wondered if Nancy knew anything about that. Hmm. Let's see. So I, I guess in terms of humane, it's hard to say, right? Because I'm not sure what that means. Like if you're trying to rid an area, I'm not sure how much uh, humane stuff you can do. 
may, maybe more of like coexisting. Like I'm, I'm not sure exactly. Well, I'll mean. give you an example because it came up in my campaign for mayor uh, when uh, then Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams advised uh, his method of uh, culling the rat population because they're like eight rats for every one citizen in New York, a city of eight million was to drown the rats. He seemed to take great delight in drowning rats. Others, they like to put dry ice in their lairs. Others, they like to throw pesticides everywhere, exterminators. Uh, Yeah, what would be a more humane way? Because we obviously can't have that many rats because they do carry uh, disease. uh, To cull the herd without necessarily uh, drowning them or torturing them. Okay, well, well, that would be the... Uh, I, I think what would be the focus in general, which hasn't been done to date, figuring out how to humanely bring the population down. And that's really the point. So, for instance, with the feral cats that I, um, you know, I, I've been dealing with for many years now, the whole point is, you know, spaying and neutering. So the ways that you can start to do that with these quote-unquote like you know sort of overpopulating animals you can do if you focused on it and you prioritized it it's like sadly by default what happens is oh all of a sudden they're nuisances so we just have to kill them in mass which has clearly not been successful because it's never made a dent overall and plus it's the cruelest thing to do so it, you, know, you think about how many things that animals are utilized for, including medical research, which benefits people. You would think that this should really be prioritized. This is a way to keep these animals like not overpopulating. And I mean, and again, like the whole thing with the overpopulation is, you know, every time these animals have to just like suffer at large and just pass away, which most of them do when they are born outdoors, like. You know, this should be something that we really prioritize because they help us so much in so many ways. So I think that's really the issue, figuring out how to make that happen. Let's go to Kevin calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Kev. Hi, uh, Curtis and Nancy, and I love the show. And, Curtis, I can see why you married Nancy because she's an incredibly beautiful, caring person. Every week when I listen to her, I can see why you love her, man. She's a, she's a really, really, really good person. And, you know, I, I just want to ask you, and I, I bring this up because I want people to adopt the animals, which you've been doing, Nancy and Curtis. And it's that uh, Time Magazine has a thing on uh, vets have a very high suicide rate because they go to school, they what they got $200,000 in student loan debt. They think they're going to spend all day saving Fluffy. And what happens is a lot of those animals, as you mentioned earlier, get put down because the owners can't afford it. So the vets have to take turns. I never knew this. Read the article. Um, the vets have to take turns so that we're putting them down. And what happens is um, they become so depressed. One out of six um, have attempted suicide already. Vets and a lot, as you mentioned, a lot of them are leaving. What happens is they leave for a few years and then they come back. Um, and it's a really important issue, and that's why this show is really important because we need to get the animals adopted, and um, because this is a big problem for the vets. And and um, I, you know, a lot of people, I guess, aren't aware of this. So um, I just hope that 
I just hope that more people uh, will step up and adopt the animals. And I, if, I'm sure you have thoughts. I'm sure you knew about this already, you know, Nancy. I'm sure you knew about it. I, I'm not sure, but I had a feeling you, you probably might have known about this. Um, and, yeah, so. Yeah, well, uh, Nancy, uh, were you aware of this? Because it certainly is shocking to me. I have um, uh, the main go-to uh, a vet that I I've known for like over a decade, Dr. Nasser in in, in Brooklyn, Windsor Terrace. I continue to bring our cats to him because he's like such a good vet, and it's like I feel like it, it's tough to find that. And I mean, and and it's a reality. Like there is a semi shortage. I have, you know. So again, like I'm trying to figure out like who are the people to go to. But again, this whole concept of there's this big need for having uh, veterinarians, why it's not being promoted more in schooling, I'm not sure because, you know, when you go to college, like, oh, be a philosophy major, be an English major, it's like, you know, starting to go toward industries that make a lot of sense, like there is a clear shortage of veterinarians, plus you think about the idea that how many people with the uh, medical insurance they have, well, why aren't they including, okay, maybe you can start looping in. So now this is becoming a growing industry because of the shortage of veterinarians, but it just makes a lot of sense. It's like the reason why a lot of people also relinquish their pets to the, the shelters, the kill shelters, it's because they can't afford this stuff, like, you know, afford the medical bills. And they also, you know, during the time that they actually have their, you know, pets, it's not like, you know, a normal person where, oh, let's do like a yearly checkup because you have to pay a lot of money. So this idea that, you know, people are being, you know, sort of uh, taken away from people who want to continue to give them a good home that's really the tragedy, and I think that will, you know, at this point catch up because now this shortage is becoming like an industry, you know, where hopefully it's like people are catching on, but it's like this is really where the shortfall comes from. I mean, there's a lot of people who want to keep their pets, but it's just true. Like anyone who has health insurance knows, oh, I have a copay, I have this. If you have a dog or a cat or, you know, any other pet, you know, you might go into the vet for a visit and it's like five, six, seven hundred dollars. Like, you might not be able to do it. And it's like that could be the difference between you keeping that pet with you or not. And that's that shouldn't be the case when that should already have been figured out. That this is, you know, you, we have to figure this stuff out. Like, people have their pets. Their pets are like their kids. Like, I mean, all the pets we have, it's like, it, it, again, it just makes sense. Like, you really need to start prioritizing this stuff. And then finally, let's go to Mike on the Lower East Side. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Mike. How are you? Uh, Nancy, I don't know if you were able to look into the uh, the dolphin thing, but I think I made a mistake last time I said Stony Brook. I think it was Brookhaven Labs. It's been a while ago. But it was Brookhaven Labs, I think, that they were doing the autopsies on the dolphins and finding uh, helium balloons in them. Uh, so I think that might be the place to uh, to check, you know, and maybe get some uh, some insight on that. 
Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely look into that too. And, and and you're right. It's like I mean, with the all all the animals that live in the ocean. I mean, it it really surprised me. It's like once I started looking into that, it it's incredible how many animals live you know in the sea. But obviously, you know, a lot of people don't know about them, and there's so much that they're you know um, suffering from. You know, by some of these like really silly types of things, it's like, why in the world is it that oh we can't do something really basic like oh you're not, you know don't have the balloons and things like that. I mean these animals suffer enough, but I mean again it's just it's bringing awareness to it. I think is like really the biggest thing. So people know and people can get involved and people can get because I think once people know oh, this thing that maybe you thought was no big deal, okay, well, it is actually a big deal for this reason, and this is why you want to shift. So, you know, all these voices, like if you have the voice to say this, like anything you can say that can actually bring it down, it's like I think that's really super important. Now, in case people want to reach out to you during the course of the week before you return uh, to our animal welfare uh, segment, same time, same place next week, how can they get in touch uh, with you? you can email me nancy at guardianangels.org. So nancy at guardianangels.org. That's nancy at guardianangels.org. And if you're interested in what Nancy is doing with uh, those other folks who are helping with our Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division, uh, just go to guardianangels.org and you hit the tab, Guardian Angels Animal Protection, and you can see all the different things that Nancy and others are doing for the dogs and cats and other animals so, again, uh, we'll continue on with our mission. Uh, we're starting a podcast, actually, which is different than the program itself, in which we are going to be bringing animals in and discussing the animal issues with the live animals there. These are animals, in many instances, who have been impaired, who may have been injured, who may have been left to die in a shelter. That means nobody would come and rescue them. Nobody would adopt them. Nobody would force to them because they were so impaired. Uh, and I think this will be another way that we can educate so many people. Uh, we hope to uh, film the first podcast uh, this week uh, in the studios of WABC, and then it will be added to the roster every week of all the other great podcasts of the actual programs that exists on WABC on a day-to-day basis, like this hour of the animal welfare uh, segment, uh, which we'll make sure is uh, separate and distinct and by itself, and then the different uh, video podcasts uh, in which you'll actually get a chance to see some of these animals. So thanks for putting that all together, Nancy. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love all you guys. <laughs> I look forward to talking to you going forward. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Oh, my God. This may be the last time I play this song, Frank. Some of the listeners have wanted me to call the weekend segment of The Other Side of Midnight another, give it another name. 
since it's different than yours. I, I agree. You're ruining our show's reputation. We work hard for this show. And don't need you uh, taking 13-minute calls from uh, uh, Mike in Manhattan about nonsense, about James K. Polk and how I don't talk enough about the Mexican-American War. Uh, pick a new name. The most fascinating... Yeah, call it the other side of sanity. The most fascinating me. caller, though, he's called twice now. I've let him go on and on. Yes. There's a guy named Junior with a dog named Rusty who claims that he's a neighbor of yours and he's out there in the wee hours of the morning. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any truth to what he's saying. I mean, first of all, uh, first off, I mean, I heard him saying I was uh, smoking 10 cent cigars, which is not true. I... I Smoked a $23 cigar yesterday, which was quite delicious. And I you know, say. I'm not a cigar guy other than knowing about the Nobler cigars because my grandfather, Fidel Bianchi, mm-hmm. nobody smoked them. But he mentioned twice now a Connecticut wrapper. What does that mean? Connecticut wrapper is a lighter wrapper, right? So um, you, you, there are a lot of different types of, of cigars. There's the darker, right? The darker kind, those are more robust, those are stronger. And then there's the lighter kind. The lighter in color and the the lighter in aroma, the lighter in, ta- in taste is the Connecticut wrapper. I actually do prefer, generally, it's not what I smoke today, but I actually do prefer a Connecticut wrapper because being on the radio, you know, I don't, you can't smoke these strong cigars and then, uh, and then be in any condition. So the Maduro wrapper is the kind of the stronger. Connecticut is one of the, the, Lighter cigar wrapper. So, Junior may be right. He says he finds Connecticut wrappers there. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't think, look, clearly, Junior, and I heard him, but he's not a cigar smoker because you don't just find a wrapper. The wrapper is the outer layer of the cigar. You smoke the wrapper. The wrapper is smoked. Ah. Ah, so it's it, oh. tobacco surrounded by. Oh, so it's like a uh, blunt. Well, no, it's it's a cigar. I mean, it, the the wrapper is the outer layer of the cigar. And it's is not, there it's any, not like a plastic wrapper? Is there any uh, truth to what Pete from Staten Island said? Is that he saw you in the supermarket and Carmine was pushing you around? <laughs> you were actually in the uh, cart g- grabbing the Enterman's cake off <laughs> the shelf. <laughs> that, that, no, that might be true. The only time I was in the supermarket this week was to take all my recyclables. The bottles, the cans did very well. Uh, had quite a haul that I'd been saving up for for a while. Now, Frank, uh, it is now 12 days of the invasion uh, by Vladimir Putin uh, into uh, the Ukraine. Ukraine, not the Ukraine. 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 Right. There is a difference. Yes. Well, just like you wouldn't say we're importing oil from the Canada or going to vacation in the Mexico or uh, talking about Vladimir Putin, president of the Russia, it's not the Ukraine. It's Ukraine. Oh, 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 excuse me. Before they get obliterated off of the map, right. I have to be able to That's uh, right. pronounce it correctly. Haven't these people suffered enough to have the name of their country pilloried in such a manner? But now, you were part of the 99.9% of the prognosticators who never thought it would get to this point. Yeah, that's true. And you were wrong the first time. You admitted it. Everybody else admitted it. Finally, they were in shock. So now where do you think this goes? Do you really believe this concept that Vladimir Putin is insane, he's mad, he's Hitler, he's uncontrolled? I, I don't. I mean, that look, I do think this invasion of Ukraine was irrational for a host of reasons. 
uh, that I went on the air, which is why I predicted it wouldn't happen. But most of my predictions are inaccurate. But no, I don't. You know, it's they have these kind of uh, narratives that take shape. And this is the narrative to shore that he's insane, that he's become increasingly isolated during COVID. I don't think that's uh, the case at all. But um, my hope is that Naftali Bennett, who appears to be, that's the uh, Prime Minister of Israel, for people that don't know, appears to be taking upon himself to mediate this dispute, is able to come up with some sort of a solution, a diplomatic solution, which results in a ceasefire and then ultimately a a truce that people can live with. And then uh, we played a little tidbit of your Rackets report featuring Ori Spado. That's right. Uh, And it was very pertinent because... I recognize that was uh, a guy who was answerable directly to the underboss of the Colombo crime family, Sonny Francesi, maybe the most, um, let's say, not just consistent murderer, but efficient murderer that organized crime has ever well, seen. Well, look, uh, we could do a whole show, and in fact, we will on a future edition of the Racket Report. In fact, uh, you heard... Um Rudy Giuliani, when he was with us in Staten Island the other day, he's been listening to the Racket Report. Yes. He gave me, you know, everyone was trying to stop him to talk about politics when we were in Staten Island. He just wanted to take apart the different things in the Racket Report that different guests were saying. Um, and I'm hoping to have him on a future edition. But I'd also love to do a whole episode on John Sonny Frenzies. And as you have pointed out, he was actually, I think, kicked out of the military during World War II for demonstrating I don't. I'm paraphrasing here, but homicidal tendencies. You would think you'd want him fighting the Japanese, right? With exactly. homicidal, but he was too crazy even for that. Now, Frank, since I will be up, will be listening yes, intently. Yes. What do you have in store for the other side of midnight? Well, we're going to be talking about this Ukraine situation. My guest in the first hour is going to be Ted Galen Carpenter. He's a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. He wrote back in July, warning the American people, saying Ukraine is a dangerous and an undeserving ally. We're going to get into why that's the case. And uh, in our continuing effort to talk with all the candidates for governor, I spoke with Andrew Giuliani last week, uh, you know, of all the parties, I'm going to be joined by Rob Astorino in the 3 o'clock hour, who's running a vigorous campaign. And um, we've got commendations, which is a Monday staple. We're going to delve into a wide variety of uh, You know, I think what we have to do, we have to convince John Katsimatidis, our owner-operator of Red Apple Media, our parent company, and great talk show host in his own right at WABC. The one way we can help in this Ukrainian situation is to direct people towards the actual NGOs and charities that if you're generous enough to donate, will actually get to the Mm. Ukrainian people. That's a great idea. Because there are so many corrupt individuals in Poland and Hungary and Romania and Ukraine. Ukraine. I I see they're they're collecting all kinds of money, and I'm saying, oh, my God, these people will be lucky if they see a dollar out of every $10. Mm. Yeah. Now, uh, what did you think of that New Yorker article I can never remember if it's New Yorker or or New York Magazine on you and Anthony Weiner's uh, show. I thought it was pretty fair. Yeah, New York Magazine. New in York fact, Magazine. Uh, I brought to them an old article. I saw that. It was great. From 1996, I believe it was, when uh, Guy Molinari was encouraging me to run against Anthony Weiner, mm. who was the city council person who was going to vie for Chuck Schumer's seat since he had left to run against uh, Alphonse Alley Boy D'Amato. And ironically who Melinda Katz was running for on the Queen's side. She was part of the Hevesy Jack Chartier machine. They ended up running against one another, and 
Anthony Weiner only won by five, 400 votes. Yeah, very tight race out there. See, all of history could have been different had you uh, run for Congress back then. <laughs> but anyway, Frank Morano, I will have to do, I will need the help of our listeners to figure out a new name for the weekend uh, version of The Other Side of Midnight. As I now continue my assault on daytime programming, I could well appear anywhere from 6 to 6 because I really want ABC, WABC, to stand for always broadcasting courtesy. You're, you're well on your way. You're safe and secure, Frank. Thank you. Leave my but, but everybody four else, hours alone. Everybody else, I'm coming for you. Every minute I can get, I'm coming for you. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.